Right, this is another episode of Summoning Insight, or as we call it, two, not even that old, but compared to Zoomers, it's a self-report, guys. Two old men yell at clouds. <laughs> Here's one weird thing I've never understood about that as a diss, right, is if there really was an old man yelling at a cloud, you wouldn't tell him it every day of your life. Eventually, you're just a young Zoomer idiot yelling at an old man as if he was a cloud <laughs> while he yells at a cloud. Eventually, you know, I know this is like self-awareness is part of the maturation process of life, guys, a bit of enlightenment that occurs. But spoiler, at that point, what would your inherent value be that you just lack age and experience but yell at things? See, believe it or not, if you were to <laughs> yell at things, Monty, I'm so meta, I can even do this. If you were to yell at something, by definition, the most qualified and appropriate person to yell at something will be someone with a lot of life experience and who could compare said thing to past things or maybe even how said thing was in a different transitional state or during history. Whereas the least appropriate person to yell at things and be mad at them and critique them would be someone with very little life experience. And especially as a result, recursively, it would make very little sense for that person to critique someone who critiques, since they also would lack experience, both of life itself and that person, in order to know how much are they being critical or being reasonable. So essentially, if you're young and you see someone yelling at a cloud, you're probably just an idiot, and actually they could be making a great point. Anyway, that's a lot of self-indulgent, recursive, metaphorical abstract philosophical explanation as to why Summoning Insight is the best esports <laughs> podcast of all time and will always be in English. Fair enough. Very good. Very meta. Very meta. And I, I, think, uh, I think we would be remiss, Thorin, if we didn't talk about the Adam incident up first, right? BDS. So you said like, it wasn't going to be like 45 minutes of the show anyway. I know. Okay, go on then. Yeah, <laughs> swear, you know, I had a lot of like a draft analysis for game three plan, but yeah, let's let, tell you what, let's take a tangent. Let's let's do something different, guys. Let's talk about the drama. Well, well, look, people love the drama. Let's <laughs> be honest. And of course, all, of course. By the way, all I get now on my stream is people asking like, did you talk about the Adam stuff? Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm like, no, we're going to do it on SI. Oh, we're going to do yeah. it on SI. Guys, we're going to do it on SI. Please understand this, guys. Monty is not fucking Domo. L. He is not a reaction stream. Like, kids like, oh my God, I better pull up this tweet. Like, he's actually trying to do what you say you want. Actual game analysis. And you're like, yeah, yeah, Monty, that's real cool. Like, Gen G versus KT. But can you go back to like, uh, what What do you think of like this news post or about striking them? <laughs> What are you talking about, you idiot? Which, that's how you know everyone's just here for the drama. We're all here for the fucking lols. It's all good. Because I have to say, Monty, you know one thing people have underplayed? Because of the timing of how that drama chronologically came out, like which facts came out and in what order, right? Which, which itself, we can have a whole discussion about the meta context of what that might imply. I actually think this almost got like undersold as a drama bomb precisely because it came out after the match. Mate, if we'd have known the explanation of why he was benched before the match, the joke is the match wouldn't even have mattered. The whole match would have just been people, which almost was anyway, just talking about the drama, wouldn't it? Like the drama actually superseded the match. We'd all lose, by the way. Like there's actually no way, people haven't thought this. If we'd have known beforehand, there's no way the outcome could ever be acceptable. Because if they'd have won without Adam, it'd be an insane drama bomb that like, fuck him, they were right. Like they don't need him. And if they lose as they did, it would be like, 
you know, you've cut off your nose to spite your face. What are you doing, BDS? <laughs> like you couldn't. So the actual joke is this is that this is why we'll get to this bit later. Spoiler Monty. It's almost convenient because the person who only benefited in every regard was BDS, essentially. Because if you notice, they got to like, say he was benched, but with no reason. So there was no drama initially. It was more just like everyone was laughing. Everyone was actually basically laughing at Adam because of the Dom thing where he was mentioning like, it's kind of like the upset situation. You're karma, you're in the same situation. <laughs> then after the game, when they've lost, because actually, to be fair, BDS still played fairly well. Like they obviously could have won the series. I actually think most people were like, oh, wow, maybe the coaches knew something. And then when it came out how he was like wrecked, it doesn't affect the game anymore. It can't mess up the other teammates in the game. And then he gets his punishment. And then right after, they like left the perfect amount of time for him to get wrecked by the community. And then Striker came in with like probably one of the best PR statements I've ever seen worded ever in esports history. And not only, essentially, if you're smart, read between the lines, told you, yeah, he obviously was a little shit. And he did fuck with me specifically. But I'll tell you what, I've put him back in the box now and he's agreed to play nice, hasn't he? So there's no problem now. Essentially, that's like the gist of what happened, guys. So if we go back, we can go to every every stage of this. There's so much right. here that you can actually build. Yeah. All, right, all right, Thorin. So what you're saying is that Stryker did an excellent job of cleaning up the dirty mess that Adam Killed left it. behind in, B in BDS. And you know, guys, we actually do have a new sponsor. And it's going to be EarthBreeze. And you know, might be wondering, what is EarthBreeze? Well, it's a detergent, uh, laundry detergent. So thank you very much for their sponsorship. And I've got some right here. It's red because I have it on a green screen. It's actually green, guys, as you can see in the banner down below. And so what this is, is that it is a detergent that is in sheet form. It's actually more like a, a dryer sheet, but you rip it in half and it goes right into your washing machine and it cleans things up. It's in a very small package. I use it on the clothes I'm wearing right now. It works delightfully well. And it it is just ultra-concentrated detergent powder and doesn't take up any space in your house and you can get a subscription to it that you can pause adjust at can or cancel at any point in time you want with free shipping so you don't have to worry about running out of laundry detergent so it's also hypo hypoallergenic guys so if you are interested in getting this again supporting our sponsors does help us at lfn very much i've been enjoying using it myself and it's just a lot easier to use and doesn't it's not annoying, like pouring all that detergent into a cap and getting a, making a mess everywhere. Right. It doesn't take up a ton of space, like having a bunch of pods in a giant plastic container. Just really efficient, guys. Very eco-friendly. And so right now, listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. So you can go to earthbreeze.com slash LFN. That's earthbreeze.com slash LFN for 40% off your subscription. So very good deal here. And thank you very much to EarthBreeze. You too can clean up your laundry like Stryker cleaned up Adam. Uh, and let's talk about Adam now. Because this basically we should recap the drama for people who might have missed it, Thorin, which is basically Adam is all of a sudden benched from the BDS Mad Lions completely toy. Out of nowhere. Completely yeah, out of nowhere. Completely no, no warning, out of nowhere. Nothing to suggest it. Yeah, of course. They call up Gen X, who's obviously a player who has been in LEC previously. Oh, and SK Gaming, if people remember. From SK, yes. And they say, okay, this guy's going to be our substitute in a very important, you know, third place match that leads directly into the finals versus G2. Now, most people, us included, would have expected BDS to win this series. They were the favorites going in. And so we have a lot of speculation. Now, the first layer of this is obviously that Adam, when he was on Fnatic, was very publicly critical 
of his teammate upset not attending the world finals or the world championship, rather, uh, as a result of some personal issues. And then he is suddenly leaving the team uh, for mysterious circumstances. Right, basically, the quick thing to say on that is, one, if you ever actually look at what Adam said, this is a part that people often miss. It's not that he was mad with what the situation was that caused Upset to leave. By the way, that's technically never been explained why, and I know the reason. And it's because it's a very serious personal reason. It is genuinely nobody's fucking business. In the same way, Monty, as if I said, sorry, I have to leave this show now. I have a terminal illness and will die. You wouldn't go, well, unless you tell me what illness, then it doesn't fucking count does it you're abusing me like you would know that is a mentally ill response to that right so essentially Monty just trust me on this I know what I'm talking about it was a very serious reason you probably heard it yourself but all that's come out publicly is it was something to do with Upset's wife who'd married quite recently I think a month or two before that and then he had to just immediately return home from I can't remember if it was in Korea or America watching you that that was maybe in China with the footballs so basically the real problem was as far as I know it's always intimated by Adam's fans that what he was mad about is that he never got the reason that's why Adam himself made a sort of joke about like he had a lonely wife or something because as far as I can tell what really happened is this upset like a professional told his management hey, here's the reason I have to go obviously this is like very you know secret information sure. please keep it to yourself they professionally told the uh, Fnatic players you know sorry guys I know this sucks but Adam's had to go back and all the rest of it and then Adam's just decided because he you have to remember guys that was his first split in the LEC and he was something like I think it was like 18 or something mental one. he just sort of wigged out and stupidly publicly put it out there so that caused drama. And as you're alluding to, Monty, then people claim the Adam guy was like, and then upset had me kicked like one. Why wouldn't he, Dafcon? Think it through, you actual fucking cretin. You've just admitted to yourself you fucking called his wife out for some shit you had no clue about. But then here's the more important thing. I've heard that's not even true, mate. What I've heard actually happened is Fnatic said something to him like, should we get Alfari instead of fucking Adam? And by the way, this is in 2021, guys, when Alfari was like the shit in Team Liquid. And Adam was like, you know, a rookie who could play two and a half champions that weren't even meta. So the logic goes, it's more like he probably said, I'd rather have this other person. And then the joke is they didn't get Alfari anyway because they ended up with like fucking wonder, didn't they? So like that's like the beginning of the drama so you actually have to know that to know what happened now and then yeah now obviously it's ridiculous that then out of nowhere Adam is benched before a really big game so even comparable right because the premise of the Worlds one is like now we the rest of his teammates won't have the same chance to succeed at Worlds well guess what logically the one thing you have to say no matter what you think of striker and bds is they definitely inhibited their chances to win the fucking title by doing this although by the way there's one thing I'll very quickly offer to you and shared in there the other thing about this move is this. I can get into why I think it's gangster. It's a great move and it even could have worked. But I'll tell you what, Monty. Part of me thinks this is how you actually know that nobody thought they could beat G2 this split. And that I imagine even BDS got that work in scrims and just thought, actually, you know what? We're not giving up the LEC title here, Monty. We're basically giving up one match. Like, we could be in the final, but we'd lose anyway. So maybe this is the moment where like we do the big disciplinary action. Because as everyone pointed out, of the three splits, it's the least important. So if you were going to do it, even though it looks really really bad, I think is when you do it. Whereas I would just suggest this, I don't know what you think, but I think if BDS was actually the favourite to win the title, you just win the title and then bench him. You know what I mean? I, I, <laughs> sure. I feel like on that one, I feel like that one, it's a bit more, bit more que- questionable because, uh, that's the key, the key thing about this story to me is the way he is benched is, I've never seen that happen ever with an elite player. Like, 
Usually the elite player, especially your star player, is the one that you can get away with this sort of nonsense. And then, like, you know the stories behind the scenes. Spoiler about people like Reckless. You hear them, but, like, they never actually they never get actually benched in the game. They might get threatened with it, like, oh, you're benched. But they always end up playing the match in the end. And it usually ends up not being the case. Not least because the org worries, they'll tank all the aggro if you bench the star player. So what did you think about this situation when you first heard of it? Well, I, I think we also have to color in the context that it was kind of mysterious at first. And then there was I also... I just assumed he was injured, by the way. I just thought yeah. maybe he's had like a... Yeah, maybe something, got, or maybe something happened in his personal life or your grandma died or something. I thought something like that. Sure. You know, yeah, because... Especially because... Going for. Yeah, because of the upset incident and because of the Oscarinen incident where yeah. he was... You know, Oscarinen was uh, mysteriously injured. <laughs> right? Has anyone said anything about that yet, Monty? There's nothing come so. out still. Because here's the thing, as far as I know, guys, that's like a classic one that I'll tell you that goes like this. This same thing happened in Counter-Strike many years ago. There was a top Polish player in Counter-Strike in the, in the 1.6 era who went to an event, Monty, and then he had a broken hand. And then I remember, because obviously you fucking need your hand to play the game. I remember saying, how have you done that? And he said some bullshit like, oh, I was playing football and I fell over. And then his teammate just told me, like, yeah, he just had a fight with someone to put his hand through like a plate glass window in a nightclub or something, right? All I've heard is a Essentially, something akin to that, Monty, that actually the, it's pretended as though it was like an accident with the Oscarian guy, but he might have just fucked it up doing something very silly, let's say, let's say, <laughs> raging out a bit. Like, so yeah, that, that's another one. We are right, though. You notice the real problem here is whenever they give no info, it's usually a bad sign. That's fucking, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a red flag immediately, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's either something deeply private or something deeply stupid. And those are the only yes. two options. Like, because think about it. Yes. If you, if some player was like bicycling along and, you know, somebody opened their car door and they smashed their hand on it like you just say that publicly guys you just say yeah, oh yeah, there was a freak accident that occurred that wasn't the player's fault if it's something dumb or something personal and serious that's when you say nothing so clearly By when the he's way, was injured, one thing. it's not something personal and serious so it has to be something dumb right is it, it has is a quick logic. tension that people don't know about Monty. Because this is another one of those things people never track down. They hear the storyline, then no one ever goes back and checks on it. Do you remember? You'll have to cast your mind back. The first season of the G2 Super Team, when they brought Mickey X in to go with Perks in the bot lane. Does everyone remember, before MSI, there was a period where you initially like sat for a week and they brought in like Promiscue or something. Because he had like hand issues. Do you remember his first split with them? He had mm. wrist issues and he was actually claiming he had really bad pain. And at the time, people were scared. Like, holy shit, if they get to MSI, will they actually be able to use him? And the joke is, he never had problems after that, like he won MSI and he just played all the games he's played the whole time ever since then. He's been awesome because I actually know Mickey X. I actually asked him one time, Mate, why did no one ever ask you, like, what happened with that? Bro, it's mental. I can't give you more details because we'll have to wait till like he comes on a show and I'll get him to tell the whole story. But basically, this is real. The way he got healed from his chronic hand issues is someone gave him a book that changed his mindset and it didn't hurt anymore. That's actually real. <laughs> Amazing. Because <laughs> it's just some sort of a book about like what, how you think about pain or something. Or like, I think, the, I think the implication, by the way, is like some of it must have been like a psychological thing and a stress set. It was like a feedback loop was feeding sure, into yeah, yeah. for folks. And so, it was so, look, it's not as silly as that in itself, but, it did, but when I heard that story, I was like, how is this not known in the community? It's a fucking <laughs> mental story. Which book did you read? Like, how? It's like some fucking meme, isn't it? Like, how to not have a broken wrist? Oh, shit. 
Chuck the breeze, awesome. <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? That's a bagger there. But anyway, my point is, yeah, that is a weird thing about esports. Is like, I'll just say it this way. It's why I don't have any respect for the leakers, Monty. Because they pretend they're not a leaker. They're like some hot shit journalists like Richard Lewis, like getting all like, the secret info. No, yep. no. What they are, Monty, is literally the mouth of Sauron that the most evil people in the industry just go to put this out there. And then half the time, that just serves the agenda of the person giving them the info, like the org or the coach or whoever it is, right? But then they're pretending like they're just I'm just an objective journalist doing this because like I've just alluded to, the real stories don't even get out there, mate. You never will find out why Oscar Allen did that. You'll never find out what happened with Upset. The real stories don't get out. So, spoiler, when this one does get out, but one second after the series ends, I can already guess who put the story in the journalist's hands, Monty. I don't know about you. like, Because you know what? We call that in journalism. It's called an embargo, mate. But here's what's weird. If it was secret behind the in scenes info that I didn't want you to have as BDS The Org, why would there be an embargo for right after my game ends? Because here's the thing, Monty. Remember what I just said earlier? If the drama bomb drops before the match, I mean, in the modern day, some players are even stupid enough to check Twitter during the break, mate. It could actually influence the match. They could all see, like, the public discourse on it. Players could, like, lose fucking morale. Maybe they, maybe some of them didn't even know how bad it was with Adam. The other team would know what's going on. Instead, magically, you let the whole series play out. So as a chance to sort of be as, like, organic and neutral as possible. And then afterwards, you just drop the drama bomb anyway, so you get both, you just win. Spoiler, that just implies the BDS org were the ones who put this info out there <laughs> via whatever methods or channels they needed, you know, which also is why I actually think this whole thing is a masterclass from BDS. It is amazing, Riker. actually. Because he's nailed every aspect. Think about what he did, Monty. As I say, he picked probably the only time ever I actually would say to the second best team, if you had to tank a series, you weren't going to win this title anyway. So he's picked the best time ever to do it. I've also never seen that because normally when these problems happen, they tend to happen at the worst moment ever. And you go, shit, what do I, like I say, you go, fuck, do I really bore like, like title or world or something? Nah, I'll probably just play the guy anyway. Like the aforementioned Reckless. So then after that, you almost also, by the way, for real, and I would even say partly because there was no drama attached to it, you almost won the fucking series too. Like you actually yep. almost made it work. <laughs> by the way, if he'd have actually, if Stryker had have actually won that series with his sub top leader who doesn't even want to use, and then by the time, that would have also just been like, that would be like, Fucking California love. <laughs> just pure gangster. Just classic OG gangster, mate. Like, so that was yeah. already pretty sick. And then after that, he gets to civil. Like I say, even the time window was genius, Monty. There was like a few hours when the initial statement dropped where it was like everyone was just... But it wasn't... Oh, not the statement. The, the Sheep H Spots report. Obviously, there was a leak. A report came out, right? And it wait, basically wait, wait, said... Wait, 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 wait. Before we get to that, I think we I think we have to mention what Wulu said about even releasing this report first. Oh, Do you true. Remember? Yes, because I've got for that. Yes, true. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, so, true. so it's very important before the, the Sheep Esports leak came out because it oh, happened yes, before true. BDS's response. Yes. And just to get every all of our ducks in yes. a row here for you guys. And what was so psycho about this was that basically dominate, I will dominate, tweeted like how come this stuff never leaks when other stuff does when everyone knows it how come nobody great ever reports point, on it basically great yeah point. great point because i've always uh, made this point dude that would be equally valuable information to get views but magically they only have the roster move it's a bit suspicious right because <laughs> you don't have direct sources guys it's obvious in it wulu tweets I get his point, and it's a legit one, but I think most yep. of my contacts respect my job if I do it well. I shared stuff like this at the start of my account, actually, and it saw a ton of backlash from the public. Stuff like this has to be done well, and in a general manage, I have man manner, I am open to it, but have to find the right stories. 
Like, what do you even say about this as a journalist? Like, if you are a journalist, your job is not to just report stories that make people happy and don't have backlash. If you if you report on real information, sometimes people are going to have a giant backlash to you. That's just what happens when the truth gets out into the public and the public might not like hearing the truth or at least not all of them. Right. Like this is how journalism works. It's a duty to the presentation of the truth, not a duty to not seeing public backlash. And I think Mephisto, you know, one of the coaches in the scene had an excellent response to this, which was this. Are you telling us that public backlash percentage is the metric you use to decide to either publish true stories or not publish true stories? Where does the respectful or not respectful to the person being the subject of the story stand in that scale? Trying to understand. Like, exactly. Exactly. Like, if you are you a journalist or are you not? How are you going to burn your sources with this unless your entire job is basically, as you said, Thorin, being the mouthpiece of Sauron, where you get to leak things because agents are telling you to leak them to affect negotiations. Yes. Like, are you just a puppet to create chaos within player contracts, within player moves? Or are you really somebody who is leaking information? Because the thing about it is, if you are spoiling people's player announcements, if you are a journalist, the institution should hate you. That's the whole yes. thing because you are undercutting them or you are releasing information that they don't want to be made public. That is your job. Yeah, I would just say in short to answer your rhetorical question, he is not a journalist. And for these very reasons, he doesn't follow either journalistic protocols and methods and safeguards. And he definitely does not have journalistic ethics. So one of the things to answer your question, here's what's great, Monty. I did actually answer it using my video about Wulu. But right. I'll explain it here shortly for people. The answer to Mephisto's question is yes, quite literally, yes. He has admitted as much in his own words of his own volition with no one forcing him to send tweet. He has done it many times. If you don't know, the reason why in those videos I made, shout out to Frankie Watch. He's the one that actually taught me this meta is incredible. Is I learned, you know what, Monty, you can actually go behind the scenes, find out all the things these people did. But at the end of the day, people have to trust you, right? And sadly, even though I have an incredible record of integrity, people will go, no, no, but you're stinky and right wing, so I don't trust you. So instead, the, the actual best way to destroy these fuckers is just use their own words. Literally show them, say, statement A, and then Sure, that like a year later they say statement anti air that can't be true, and they should, they're a liar, they're a hypocrite, they don't know what they're talking about, or, they, or they're Ma Machiavellian, they change their position depending on what suits them, politically expedient, like the aforementioned Frankie Ward. So, what I'll tell you is this over the years, Wulu, especially as his fame started to go up and he got more and more followers and he became more established, like each off season that went on, every off season, in fact, sometimes twice a year, he would do a twit longer where it was sort of like you know, a state of the union type of dress, like guys, I'm getting bigger as a leaker, so. Here's what I'm going to do differently and better. And I've heard all your concerns. And I'm going to do this. And what he would always say in these, right up until a couple of years ago, only a couple of years ago, is he would always put this weird section in Monty where you could tell he was insecure about the fact he clearly is a leaker and who didn't have legit sources. Because instead of just saying what any journalist would say, which is, look, my sources are all real. All my methods are correct. And if even if it didn't happen, just understand it's a real story and I'd stand by it. Instead, you can tell he knew he was full of shit. So he would constantly, every year, 
make it sound like he was coming up with the same idea again, like going, guys, I've actually been wondering though, because a lot of people are taking my account too seriously. For real, this was an angle he would take. Like, I actually have been wondering, should I just sort of sprinkle in some crazy rumors that, you know, might be true, might not be true? Because that way, then players won't take what I say for granted and get their careers messed up. Maddest context I've ever heard. It's the opposite, you dickhead, but okay. Not only will players not do it, but then also, you know, I'll sort of show fans not to like put too much stock in what I say. And then he, this is what's key. He didn't just say like, I might do that, Monty. He kept saying, like Mephisto alludes to, like, what do you guys think? Would you prefer that? And then he kept explaining how rumors actually like bring more to the scene because they bring discussion and speculation and they're exciting and make people. So essentially the whole time he's justifying the idea that they will trade essentially illicit information, like nonsense, like stuff they can't even verify, might even be real, but it's just salacious. It gets them hits, whether it's real or not. And then I can go a little bit further. Not only did he keep doing that, but then he also, when he made a second uh, Twitter account, because he had a second one that was mainly ERL rumors, if people don't know, like people thought initially, like I did, well, that's actually quite a smart divide, right? If someone only cares about tier one league, you have the LEC one, which is just Wulu. And then you do the other one. If someone's like a super nerd only for Europe, they go for the LFL one or the ERL one and whatever. And they listen to just rumors about the RLs. Because to be fair, they're sort of like a tiered system of fans, right? That even sounded smart. No, no, no. He stupidly revealed that his second account, because people would be like, I don't get it though. Sometimes some of the rumors are from ERLs. Don't go on the second account. Though. They go on the main account. He just straight up admitted, yeah, I sort of cynically figure out which ones will get like a certain amount of engagement. And then they go on the main account. And then the ones that won't get that engagement just go on to the side account. So literally, Monty, everything this guy has done and in his own words and his own behavior suggests that yes, he is not a journalist getting real information and then presenting it because it's important, relevant, or like, you know, in the public interest. He is someone cynically manipulating information that comes his way based on whether it has the main thing of, if you notice, is it like, will it hurt people's feelings? He didn't give a fuck, by the way, about leaking all that shit about CL, who begged him not to when he'd privately been told stuff and he knew that could fuck that guy's whole contract up and maybe get him sued by fucking Team Rex, by the way. He didn't give a shit about that. He didn't care about Vethio and Excel and whether that was a good fit when he took information given only by Vethio's agent and tried to use it to publicly force Excel to sign the player as they then did. By the way, they tanked two fucking LEC splits. You know, that could be like millions of dollars in the drain, by the way, guys, off a move like that. He didn't care when he did all that. So I have to say, to bring it all the way back, I do think he just does it when it is politically expedient to his fame and his engagement, which is why, even though the term's overused, he is a, if he was in, if this was Tolkien, his class of fucking race would be clout goblin. That is what he is. <laughs> he is a little goblin gathering clout in his little fucking sack. I got more clout. <laughs> that's all he is. That's all he is. Because that's not so, the guy pointed out. By the way, it's a great point by Mephisto. It's like, mate, essentially, if you had like really important information, but like the wrong person would say, I don't want to do it. Because you nailed it there, Monty. That's why you're not a journalist. Because why do you think Thorin gets blacklisted by evil geniuses in an IP? It's not because I've put tweets that were rude. No, no, it's because I have repeatedly exposed and, and poked at these fuckers and they know, deny him access. Don't let him get any fucking... In fact, they're even, by the way, if you don't get it, guys, in a case like NIP, that's a reprisal. I've never even actually exposed anything crazy about NIP, but that's a reprisal to show, like, hey, if you actually fuck with us and say what we're doing is wrong, like we're Fifth Lara or whatever, then you just don't get to do your interviews with us. That's, like, essentially what they're telling me there, guys, is stop talking and you can have the interviews back. Like... 
the Wooler guy is doing all that behind the scenes, never even in public, supposedly. And the joke is he's not doing the thing wrong because he already does what the orgs and the agents want that you say. Because that's the thing that always gives away who your sources are, mate, is this. You can never publish a story that's bad about them. And it just gives the whole thing away. It gives the whole thing away. Because the thing about Richard Lewis, if you notice, is he can publish a story about literally anyone. Anyone in the whole industry. The joke is, Monty, he's literally done stories about me and you. And I was even his mate at the time. You know what I mean? Like, they done stories about us for fuck's sake. Because I love that one, Monty. We sit there on the four horsemen. The fans go, yeah, Richard Lewis wouldn't call anyone out. It's like, he literally cost Monty like $10 million. Me like $6 million. And him, what are you talking about, you daft God? He's called, the joke is he's called himself out on that. It's a self-report, you know. He can't win. So, yeah, what do you think about that? Because, by the way, I do think that the Wulu guy, here's my problem. If he just said he's a leaker, then just be TMZ. But they never can. Can Monty, they well, always want to believe they can backdoor into being fucking the Washington Post or something, or the Times of New York or something. They always think they can. They always think they can. It, they want the respectability, also, don't they? It's also just weird that they have. I mean, you can tell when they when they like what side their bread is buttered on, also by the stories they don't report on. So, yep, for example, it's conspicuous. Yes. How did nobody report on the Carmine Corp entering LEC? You you fucking kidding me? Like people knew that behind the scenes. Total silence. Weird. You how say it was obviously embargoed. It was obviously embargoed. Because you know this, Monty. This happened over 10 years ago. What happened was this. I'll give you an example of real journalism. And this is how legit I am, Monty. You remember when Slasher leaked the story that Evil Geniuses was going to... I think it was this, that Evil Geniuses was going to sign J-Dong, wasn't it? Wasn't that... Oh, was it Hawk? No, I think I think it was the other way around. I think it was... I can't remember which way. It, which, listen, it was one of them, right? And the idea was, because of what happened with one, he got the other interview, if you remember. And I think what happened was, he leaked one of these giant announcements, by the way. It's either J-Dong or Hawk, I'm pretty sure, right? So at the time, this was like a blockbuster move for Evil Geniuses' star. Sure, yeah. It was like, this is what one of the biggest stars is joining one of the biggest dogs. And what happened was, because for the first one, he leaked it before they could do their announcement with all the cool splash page and dope graphics. Alex Garfield, the order, their CEO or whatever of EG at the time, went fucking mental. Like, he even publicly was sort of yep. saying, like, this is unacceptable. Like, you can't do it. Even though, by the way, he was absolutely categorically wrong in every respect. He was just doing, like, essentially, like, hey, I'm an owner. Do everything I want. And and what Slasher correctly identified at the time was, like, it's only your business, mate. This is in the public inter interest to know this information. So I went and I got it. And I got it before you. Before you could do your big splash page. So that sucks, right? Now, I will say, because it, it actually Slasher was, like, a legit journalist he did agree though in the future like i said i'm pretty sure for the next one whether it was j-dog or hook i think which order i think it was hook first i believe then he did like trade the story so he didn't reveal it the second time he got like an interview instead that he had the first interview when it came out right now spoiler what i've just explained to you with those two examples is what a real journalist on his own would do and what a real journalist working with an org would do so you notice how if he was on his own he'd just like it he wouldn't ever have to wait would he if it was a big story the bigger it is the more likely he's going to get out there but if he was working with someone it would be embargoed and he'd wait until they're ready to publish it so as you say monty spoiler anytime they can't get the info out before it also publicly comes out that just means they were told to save the info till this time it was embargoed and to have an embargo you have to literally agree with the person Yes, I won't do it until then. Like that shows you literally colluded with the original people. So I agree with you, but it's just obvious at this point. Yeah. And and like I think what's important to note too is that they did the Sheep Esports site did actually run a report on what happened with Adam, which is what spurred yeah. all of the responses from Adam himself and then also from yes. Stryker, which I think were very good. So basically the thrust of it is that Adam oh, is one of the detox, I forgot. It's in the chronology, because you might not have seen this yourself. Uh, after 
that came out, the Mephisto question. By the way, a very good question. What a well-phrased question, actually. When he asked this question of Wooloo, and Dom posted it, another thing I like to do with the Wooloo guy is this, Monty. The worst thing about his fan base is the reality is this. I figured it out because I psychologically look at things as well as just look at what they literally say. It's obvious what the real thing is. The real problem is the reason why even his fans have to believe he's legit, Monty, is because they don't want to admit they're just reading TMZ muckraking and some of it might not be legit or might be from compromised sources. So so they don't feel guilty about their guilty pleasure of getting this goss that they shouldn't have. Their fa his fans do this thing that you'll have heard many times over where they go... Yeah, he was a leaker before, and he did do that, but 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 now he's legit, starting now. And then you go, well, he isn't, though. And he got, well, okay, I'm starting now, though. Go, no, no, fuck yeah. That was just last year that he's learned this last night. Starting now, essentially, it's like the same thing with every toxic player ever. You know how it goes. They go, I'm reformed, and then the odd goes, he's much better now. And then he gets like, oh, problems again. Then he goes, no, but now I really have learned my lesson. And go like, so essentially, right, here's the problem with that Monty. As I always say, whenever you get gassed up, all it takes is one little prick to pop the balloon, and I'm that little prick, motherfucker, and I'll keep coming along. <laughs> so what I've been able to show is that they claim, there's like, what they do is they always put it one or two years in the past. They claim there's a set date at which he became serious, and they stopped doing all the shady shit, right? Well, the problem with that, obviously, would be if I then show that he kept doing it. So, spoiler, that Vethio story was the end of 2022. So he was fucking around, end of 2022, still doing ridiculous shit with one source, and then now, because I just like this, Monty, I have certain, I, I don't fire every nuke from the silos you save some yeah i've got a few grenades in there a few fucking your molotov <laughs> cocktails and some short range icbms i fire the big ones when i do the video so i had one saved in locked in the fucking chamber as it goes monty so what happened was i posted are you ready guys a dm between Wulu and Eros, who also works on his site. Now, wait a second, if you understand my gangster, I have DMs of them to each other. <laughs> Am I just fucking omnipotent or something? <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing, you don't need to know how I got that DM. All you need to know, and you should all know this, you little scurrying rats, is I must have inside sources everywhere. Because that means one of you, Lito. All I'm going to say, boys. <laughs> so anyway, because I had this oh, finger-licking good, delicious drama bomb, I dropped it because what it showed is hilarious, Monty. Remember, this website isn't called, like, you know, New LEC Journalism and, and Wooloo's just, like, the editor-in-chief. It's his site, mate. It's called Cheap Esports, after his brand of Wooloo. So, by the way, if I made Thorin Esports, even if I had a different journalist who worked for it, if they posted nonsense, mate, I, the first thing I would tell them is, you represent my fucking brand and my name and my track record of integrity. What are you doing? So what this DM showed was that, like, not even that long ago, there was a story that was shown that the Eros guy got wrong. And in it, Wulu's talking to him about the fact that, obviously, we can't have, like, things that aren't confirmed on our site. <laughs> the, sheer, the sheer fucking self-awareness that even <laughs> privately he would write that. But okay. Then the Eros guy basically, like, you know, makes a bunch of excuses as to why it was wrong. And the Wulu guy says this line that should just be case closed for the idea he's a legit journalist, guys. He basically just says, like, look, I'm not mad. We just have to get it right. It's like, wait a minute. You aren't mad that he published potentially false information on your news website. <laughs> like, if you understand that he still thinks that way now, guys, coupled with he's just a mouthpiece of other forces and interest groups, and he will actually, are you ready? He will deny you the public information if he doesn't think that his other 
Like, the real joke is this, Monty. His customer isn't you, the viewer. It's whoever the fuck gives him the info. That's essentially what's going on there. It's a fair exchange, as we call it, right? So I've just, I think I've pretty much conclusively proven at this point in time. This guy doesn't have journalistic ethics. He just does whatever he wants. But it's the marketing to be like, but I'm now legit. Because he's, he, by the way, he does have a massive following. I think he has more Twitter followers than us, mate. So he has loads yep. of fucking people follow his news, yeah. So I would just say this. Just just understand your elite, mate. Just fucking lead into it. Like, this fake shit where you have to pretend you're more legit than me, Richard Lewis. Like, motherfucker, if I, if Richard Lewis farts, you should capture it and breathe it as your oxygen source for the rest of your life because it's probably more in there than you're getting from life itself. <laughs> I don't. I, I went sort of a bit three cuts. That doesn't really make sense. Whatever. It's just something I was trying. It's all good. So, so what what it said though, Thorin, was basically what this report made two claims in particular. One that Adam was basically rage quitting scrims. Like the two important claims was that he was he was angrily right. like refusing to scrim. And guys, number- wait a second. Remember the champions Adam plays, guys. So you remember he plays Olaf, Darius, Garen. <laughs> Imagine playing with someone on Olaf, Darius, and Garen, who when this scrim gets fucked up. Imagine what those champions could do to a scrim. Then he then goes. Oh, fuck this shit and then leaves he leaves the room and you're all just sat there like bruh, bruh what are you talking what are you that that in itself I mean, if you're a fan of the game is enraging if you've ever played with those champions in top play the joke is he may as well be a fucking it, the story could only be worse Monty if it was like and then Adam after a 52 minute side lane Nasus game left when the team wouldn't allow him to keep power farming like that's the only way it could be more of an insane like solo QB I mean, story I, honestly honestly I that a, Dar- a Darius player a Darius Spade would rage quit scrims. It's literally the least surprising thing ever. (laughs) Ever. It's too good. (laughs) That would be like saying a Lee Sin man had questionable decision making in real life as well. Like, oh my God, no, did he go on queue in real life as well? Never could imagine that, mate. Never, never imagined a toxic Lee Sin man. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Give me a break. Give me a break, bro. So the the other the other key aspect of this was that apparently he got into a pretty heated argument with Stryker. Um, and so would you say those are the two main factors? Would you add yeah. any color to this? Yeah, no, I'd just say that. That's, that sounds like it makes enough sense. Right. By the um, way, just argue, uh, this is actually a detail I think people missed in the discussion, Monty. They only discussed the idea he was rude to teammates or whatever. The significant part to me, the whole crux of this is the second part, isn't it? You know this. It's the idea you actually were insubordinate to your coach. By the way, let me just put some framing down for you guys. This team went from using Adam as like sort of an actual fucking distraction so they could carry the game through a crown shot hyper carry ADC to we don't even need crown shot. In fact, get in someone whose job is to not be crown shot and play entirely for fucking Adam. I've put the whole game around you and now you're going to be a prick to me. <laughs> that is absolutely grounds for benching me because here's what's mad about this. This is where people won't realize I am actually so legit. Mate, I think about a week before he got benched. I actually said it on Twitter, he's the best top player in the fucking LEC. Like, he actually looked like he was... This system made him look like the best player at top lane. Because at the time, Broken Blade had the finals, guys. So, like, I actually thought he was fucking killing it. So, like, the joke is, this, your coach couldn't have done more to make your career fucking dope and awesome. He's even removed, if you don't get it, guys. Like, supposedly, Adam was one of the people who had issues with crowding. So he's even removed the people you don't like. If, after all that, you're still being a twat to that guy, like... I see why he benched you, mate. It's like, at that point, what else does he have? Like, you don't fucking learn. I thought this was crazy, the idea you'd be shitty to your... It's one thing to be shitty to your team, to your fucking coach. 
He fucking made you. <laughs> and also, I mean, people don't know. I already knew that Striker was legit because a lot of people actually don't know that. Sadly, we never discussed it on this show because it was years ago now. When Striker was in Carmine Corp, the year Reckless was there, when he left, a lot of people don't know this. He just did like a stream where he just actually like flamed Reckless and talked about what a twat he was, basically. Like, this guy, is, and by the way, no one in esports will do that because they're all scared about the future. Like, well, then Fnatic won't hire me on, you know, all that sort of shit. Like, this guy doesn't care. He's actually a super legit guy. He has like an old school sports coach mentality of like, like he, what he understands, Monty, is first of all, there's a separation between coach and player. That's not, we're not friends. And then after that, the hierarchy remains. Like, look, you can disagree. You can have input, but you can't like supersede me and tell me I'm the coach and the reason why I love that Monty is you know one of my most famous refrains on this show goes like this I hate when a coach gets fired and then they complain afterwards but I couldn't do anything I couldn't pick the players and I was gatekept and I don't go then why did you put your name on it bro because the one thing you want to say as a coach is hey I did, it's like Bill Belichick you know what you might not like the seasons but at least he was in charge you know that he got to make the choices he gets to know win or lose I did what I wanted I won all lost on my terms the worst is if you don't do it. so I would say the strike guy to me the joke is i actually think this is just another fucking like this is another fucking notch on his belt like he just looks even yep. more legit this guy's just a well, very good coach mate to your to your point about the seriousness from a gameplay perspective about benching adam let me let me read you guys some statistics uh about adam that are very crucial to what thorin's oh, saying it. about the way that they play around him so in the best of one stage adam had the highest Counterpick percentage of any top laner in LEC with 78% of the time he receives a counterpick in the draft. Like he picks second after he sees the top laner. Okay. In the winter playoffs that he played, he had a 75% counterpick percentage within the draft. So 78% in best of ones, 75% in the games that he played in the best of three slash best of five stage. This team was built around giving yeah. Adam advantages because, again, what we saw with Nook was Nook was the one who was taking control yes. mages blind a lot of the time, a la Faker and T1. Yep. We saw them prioritize basically three champs in the bot side, Varus, Ash, and Jin. For ice, these we talked about on the show before. Long range, engage AD carries for the most part because they were running pick compositions, and a lot of the way this team played was around the counter picks in the top side and the pressure that that can generate from Adam. So when you switch players, even if I think Genax is a very good substitute, like they had a very good, good fallback yeah. player. It changes the dynamic of the way you play the game enormously because Adam is not a plug and play player. He is not. He is not a, you can't just be like, well, we're going to insert a weak side top laner into this team because that isn't how everyone else's jobs on the team work, particularly their bot lane, like particularly yes. their bot lane. So I, it is a like pretty monumental decision. But I, to your point that you made a while ago, Thorin, about when is a better time to do this? The answer is there is no better time. This is the perfect yes. time to do it because you're not affecting your chances for MSI. And let me explain the brilliance, the what I think is the brilliance of the timing and of the messaging, because we're going to go on to Adam's statement and Stryker's statement. And what this really like knits together is you got a bunch of points, right? You got a bunch of points. As you said, like points on the circuit, right? So that you're getting yes. you know closer to potentially going you've to Worlds. You've already got third at least. You've already got some. It's not like you give yeah, it a you got third. Yeah. You got third. 
So, and you probably still think it's possible to maybe win and get second. That was also plausible too. Yeah. So here's here's the other thing, Thorin. If you're confident in your abilities and you're confident in Adam's ability to reform, or you you're confident that Gen X can permanently take this position if necessary, well, first off, we're gonna have several weeks off. Like basically, the next season of LEC now that it's over doesn't start till like what oh, second wait. week of March. You know, right? see, I hadn't even thought of that. Actually, there's another angle people haven't thought of. If they actually had have won game five and won, maybe they just reinsert Adam for the final and they get to win the title and, or go for it and punish him. <laughs> yes. like, there's also that world too, to be fair, yeah. So, so here's the thing. I think you're right. They didn't believe that they were going to win this split. Okay, no, so, so. G- G2 wins it. Now, let's think about what, what changes if G2 wins it. Oh, right. Well, this year, the winter split champion gets an automatic seed to MSI. That didn't happen last year, guys. This is a new change in the format for MSI. Um, And so what this means is that you don't really have to be super concerned because let's say even if G2 wins the next split as well, they can't get more than one spot for MSI, right? Like that's not... That's not a thing that can happen. So you're still going to be competitive for the potential yes. MSI slot um, yes. at, at the end of and the day. you could argue if you get him in line, maybe more competitive, maybe it helps you, right? Yeah. Um, so like there, there are, there are real advantages to like, there's not, there's not an insane disadvantage that you're having right now. If you don't think you're going to win anyway. Um, yes. And so, I think that when you look at it this way, first off, and then second off, Thorin, I think the other thing to consider is that what does this do to team morale? So if you think you're going to lose anyway, even if you beat Bad Lions Koi, in a way, this actually gives some spark of hope to your team because now if you lose, you could just be like, oh, well, we lost because Adam wasn't there. It also guilts Adam because he feels it's I think he feels at some level that his behavior let his teammates down and his teammates now are expecting more from his behavior as well. So you create an expectation both within Adam and within the team to reform, to have better behavior. And if you think you're going to lose anyway, well, maybe if you fix this problem, maybe if you can actually get Adam to fundamentally change his behavior and his team, you're not depressed as a team. Because if you just straight up lose with Adam right now, well, you know, you're just going to be heading into the spring split feeling shitty. But now there's like a seed of hope. Like in a weird way, it has planted this seed of hope within the BDS team as it exists right now that they can carry forward into the next split. And so now maybe if you think as a coach, if we just fix this thing, maybe we have a better shot of beating G2 in the long run. Maybe we do. Um, by the way, I'll go, oh, sorry, I thought you finished. Yeah, no. And so I think like by doing this now, it it shows that you're impactful. I think it's great that the BDS org and Striker made this bold move. Like we haven't seen a move this bold since Reaper like benched all those players on Cloud9. And that was actually very effective at getting Cloud9 into the world championship, right? It did change player behavior. It does change player behavior, but teams and like Coaches and orgs, org ownership are often afraid of doing this, even though I think it often yields better results. The stakes were low. They weren't going to win anyway. Now they have hope. Now they might have actually reformed his behavior. And because he is a crucial part of how this team functions, maybe he will be able to mature and carry that burden. And if they don't, if it doesn't work, Thorin, they'll just put in Gen X. Like, fuck it, man. Like, just send it with Gen X at that point in time. You've shown you're willing to make the swap. 
most players behave this way because there isn't somebody breathing down their neck for their role. That is one of the biggest problems in the West is that players act like shitters and don't listen to coaches because they there's nobody to replace them. In China, you just get, boop, there's the next rookie. You know what I mean? Uh, in Korea, boop, there's another one. So, like, there's always this pressure uh, in these regions, which I think helps keep the player in check. But in the West, that pressure frequently does not exist. Yeah, one thing I would say is this isn't even vaguely like the first or even probably the worst example of this. Like there's been loads of cases of star players being divas and shitters. And the joke is, by the way, oftentimes, if you've ever heard me, I'll give you a little key here to think of past episodes of Summoning Insight. If you've ever heard me take a team that looks like it should be an all-star roster, like a super team, and then they still come second or third, but they don't win the championship. But bizarrely, I don't flame the coach. Like, what do you mean? The coach had, like, the all-star team, he should win the league. That means, by the way, guys, here's the little tip. That means behind the scenes, I know that coach, actually, that super team probably imploded. Should have come, like, seventh, but this guy did some miracle band-aid and still got him competitive and got him, like, second or third at the end of the split. Like, that's why there's certain coaches I rave about who've never won LEC or rarely won LEC or maybe just came second or third. So what I would say is a bigger deal is this, Monty. People are getting really lost, like they always do, in the source of the toxic issue, right? Because what they actually ask is what I think is the most fucking infantile reading of this possible, which goes like this. If you tell someone they are badly behaved, will they just rehabilitate and reform instantly and become better? No. It's not even plausible. That would take years anyway. And then, spoiler, no one's seriously working on this. What they really mean is this, Monty. Here's the translation. Just don't talk shit to Striker again. The other stuff, by the way, it's not even implied that the teammate stuff's why you were benched. It's more like the Striker thing's the, the straw that broke the camel's back. So you can talk the odd bit of shit. Essentially, I would phrase it this way, mate. From knowing people like forgiven, upset, dardock, soas, right? If you're someone who in any way is going to be spicy or have any sort of like... Any in, in any way a negative impact in like a VOD review, a team concert, or you're just someone who doesn't tolerate shit, you have very strong boundaries. I would say it this way, Monty. I used to just say this to forgive it and simple all the time. Bro, you don't actually have to like transform as a human and become enlightened. You just have to be like 10% less toxic and essentially sometimes even just fake it, you dickhead. Like I even told Simple, you know what's so stupid about you, mate? The word sorry is like the easiest in the world to say. Like, I don't know if you know this, mate, because actually that's he actually has a problem with like a I'd call like a post solve issue where essentially in their culture Monty because it was like totally managed and if you were the one to blame you were the one going to a literal gulag everyone's sure. whole game was give false info and be like everything's fine or it's his fault or it wasn't me so I think unfortunately that's one of the reasons why they actually have that issue in their culture so what I would say is this in the West mate you know this living in America mate the most annoying thing is how easily people just throw out fucking sorries like it was confetti at a wedding like they'll do something and they don't even mean it you know they don't but they go sorry and they'll even say it in some fucked up way. Like, that's what I told people, like, forgiving and simple. It's like, bro, the reason everyone thinks you're an irredeemable dickhead is you won't even say the words. You won't. I know it. Listen, I know it's disingenuous. I wouldn't say to do this. this is why I am not. I've even told them this as well because I'm a fucking G. This is why I am not in a team. I am a fucking lone wolf who gets to do whatever he wants and tell everyone to go fuck themselves. You aren't playing StarCraft. You aren't my mate Naniwa. You're in a team game. You have to, even if it's just for the sake of your teammates and coach, sometimes say, sorry, guys, or maybe I spoke hastily. Even if you don't believe it like they're gonna appreciate that they'll appreciate even the gesture as it were so spoiler if you're adam read between the lines mate just don't fuck with striker ever again motherfucker because he will literally put you in an erl bitch so first of all don't ever fuck with him he made you and then secondly 
Like, basically, he's that Colonel guy in your Elvis twat. People might go, but it was Elvis just singing. Nah, it was that fucking Colonel guy who just knew everything behind him. <laughs> so, anyway, what I would, Colonel Parker, I think he was called, right? So, what I would say is this, is I think Stryker played this masterfully. Because I actually think, really like good. you say, he didn't really gamble much. Like, there's even a world where he could have got more circuit points by coming second. And no one would blame you either way if you lost to G2. I even think there's a world, like I say, where maybe if they got to the final, even says to Adam, you know, if you're ready to say sorry, I could put you in the final. That would even be gangster right there. What a fucking great learning tool that would be. And then I don't really think that it matters that Adam's a bit of a shitter. Spoiler, think about his public behaviour and then what you've heard privately. So he already did that to Upset. People don't know. Everyone always goes, but he apologised to Upset. Bro, I think last year around Worlds, he brought that topic up again and said something like inappropriate, again, implying like <laughs> it was fucked up or Upset was a dick or something, which is like, I even remember thinking like, bro, you're the one keeping this. You're the dickhead who was horrible to someone's family life and you're still bringing it up two years later. The lack of self-awareness is crazy, man. And then I'll just say this. If you don't know the way he has flamed me, that's a massive red flag. Because you know my original comment that got Nuke and all them to jump in was like so incredibly tame, Monty. My tweet was basically like, Nuke better enjoy this period now. Right. This last year. Because eventually like, he won't be in a top team anymore. And you'll basically see he's just like a mid mid laner. Something along the That was like essentially the gist of it. It wasn't even phrased spicy, guys. It wasn't like the ones I do now about the French and Spanish people or Cometo or something. And he went so mad on that. Are you ready for the hilarity of what he responded to me? He said, I was a disgrace to the ecosystem. I need to get out of it. Well, here's the problem, Adam. That's because you don't know the difference between our jobs, you dumb fuck. So my job is I'm a professional entertainer and historian, but those are two different jobs. So in the same way as if someone was a historian, but they also played football semi-professionally, you wouldn't, when they challenged someone in a football match, go, a historian fouling people. You'd understand that's not them being a historian, is it? That's when they're being a footballer. So when I'm on camera like this, my job is to entertain. Well, you might go, you're just flaming people. Yeah, that's part of my job. I'm killing my job. I'm actually fucking doing an awesome job. And you know what else? That's just a persona for the camera. Do you know who I am in private? I'm actually one of the best, most loyal friends and teammates you could ever have. I'm brilliant True. with my colleagues, mate. You ever see my, <laughs> you know, when all these people mob me, my old colleagues and workers don't come out and say, hey, he's a piece of shit. It'll be some guy where he's like, I used to work for like .esports and I was like in a Slack channel 700 years ago and he once said boo to a goose. Like, it's never someone who, it's never like actually people, even the people, the jokers, mate, who are like enemies of mine and used to work with me, even they don't come out and go, behind the scenes he was a total piece of shit then no one ever, no one ever says have you ever wondered guys why doesn't Frost Gurren just say that why doesn't Slasher just say it None of, they haven't even thought to say it because that's how legit I am so one I'm awesome at my job Adam no one stops me doing that two I'm fucking great to my so I'm nothing like you the spoiler is this you're the toxic piece of shit who needs to leave the ecosystem except you don't really mate all you need to do is just put your dick back in your pants understand you had a bad day and you raged out and just fucking say sorry and just play the next play because at the end of the day if we bring it all out of the drama for a second this is worse for BDS as an actual competitive team. Like, they really probably would be in the final. They, uh, by the way, when I saw how Mad Lions played G2, this is why I didn't necessarily think G2 just 3-0 is BDS. BDS, the real BDS, actually might have been able to make that an interesting series, mate. Like, first of all, I don't think Broken Blade would have been as dominant. I don't think actually... Like, mate... G2 looked like they were willing to give two games up in that fucking Mad Lions suit. So, like, I also think if, I, if Adam gets his shit together, he is really good at the game right now, and the fucking team's really good, so just get it all together and fucking play. You don't let this drama bomb go and just move on with your life, mate. Yeah, and I, I look, I think this is just a wake-up call. And people, uh, I think my initial reaction, too, was, hey, you know, this looks like a very serious time to do this, but when you actually step back and think about the implications of benching him now, they're virtually non-existent. Like, this is actually the best time. Like, honestly, this is the lowest stakes time to do this if you have confidence 
in your abilities as a coach, which I think Stryker absolutely should, because this team is way more than the sum of their parts. And I have to attribute that a lot to the coaching. Right. And like you, you have a viable backup and you can, you, you obviously are capable of crafting team strategies to the players you have. So who's to say you couldn't do it with Gen X too? Like, I don't think Gen X is some sort of irredeemable scrub compared to Adam. Like they could figure it out. On this team, By the way, shout sure. to the guy in the channel who was like, I wouldn't personally group for giving it. No, why would you? You weren't his friend, didn't know him, and didn't know all the players I just listed, who I not only knew what they did in public and what they did professionally behind the scenes, some of them I knew as people, and literally they told me the things they thought and did. But I tell you what, you as a fan who saw an interview once, you just speculate what I might have known in reality is true, and just whether that's wrong because you don't want it to be right. So remember, <laughs> the whole point of this show is we're Wulu, and we're here to just give you what you want, not in any way give you what you need or the truth. We're just here to reflect back to you your own shitty Zoomer opinion, which is that yes, Fortnite is the best game and Booga is Jesus slash <laughs> Player of the esports player of the year, by the way. Um so <laughs> um, and and, and uh, the, the way that they played That's it how dark esports is. So esports is a world in which every year, like it's like some sort of hellscape purgatory. Every year, Riot Games is the publisher of the year, as they do things like have their European final without checks notes, the ability to watch the winning moment. Well, that's one thing <laughs> interesting. And then also Ashley Kang, female Korean Travis Gafford, as I call her, journalist of the year, of course, over Richard Lewis, over me, someone who does her own job much better without asking fans to out source the questions to and then also you're in a scene where who was nominated for journalist of the year a year ago or summer it was wooloo so a guy who himself said many times i'm not a journalist stop saying i'm a journalist was nominated for journalist and people went i think he should win so that's esports for you that's esports also i have one line i forgot to say i can't leave it without the banger monty because I've, I've learned you catch waste things on tweets people don't say tweets sometimes here's the banger monty the irony of this situation is that adam is named after the first man. But for Adam to actually fucking make it, he's going to have to first become a man. <laughs> Not bad. True. True. Not bad. I love it. It's true. It is true. Um, the, Else I, he'll be struck, struck down by the striker. <laughs> God, in this case. Cast, cast out from paradise, as it were. Uh, I, I Look, I, I think the final point on this is that Stryker and Adam played this very well. Adam r released an apology. And then Stryker, I think... That's the other thing to say, right, Monty? The way, this is the other reason it's a masterclass from Stryker. Because he allowed Adam at the end, even if it's not even justified, to get his dignity back. And he even yep. gave him it back as well himself in his statement, didn't he? Not very well handled, wasn't it? That he publicly said, oh, well, this fight that we had, you know, it wasn't that yep. bad. And I understand that, you know, yep. competitive people can get heated. And so in a yes. way, he's saying that it's OK. You know, I we will have disagreements in the future but you're still my bitch at the end of the day. You remember. <laughs> Dude, people don't get that. That's the part they don't get. If you read between the lines, it's like Monty says, what he's saying is this. Look, Adam, I've gotten my way entirely. In fact, as you notice, I control this whole media site circus. I have wrecked you. I have allowed people to know you're wrecked. I have literally let the info get out there, but not from me. And now that you've apologized, you know what? If you stay on side, we'll say it wasn't that big a deal. Yep. Love you. See you on Monday, bitch. Like you said, yeah, look, perfect. He's actually like, nailed it, hasn't he? You, He's nailed you can, it. You can't disagree with it. me, but only within the parameters <laughs> I that love, I allow I disagreement. I because it. if you disagree with me in that same way again, you will, in fact, be yes. benched. <laughs> yes. I love it. It's really nice. <laughs> 
and this has also just confirmed what I actually always thought all along, which is like the most valuable person in BDS. Well, it's now proven because Crowley's not there by AB. It's Striker. It's not any of the fucking players. This is like Ender's game. It's like Striker's game. He's the one who's fucking doing all this. Because that's the other thing, by the way, I'll give this guy mad props for. Bro, he has gotten two teams into contender status that don't play even vaguely the same way with four of the same players. He's played through fucking ADC and top lane in Europe. Monty, it's the fucking mid lane region. The whole good, the whole the region for 10 years has been get a stud mid laner, give him the infinite champion pool like Knight and fucking Trophy style, and then make the jungle a gank mid. This guy has done, like we say, the opposite. In fact, I'll, I'll repeat what you've said on past episodes. Here's why I'll give Striker insane credit. You know what everyone says the toughest thing about this T1 squad is? You can't really play like them. That's the most annoying thing. They put a blueprint down and you can't copy it. He copied it with fucking French players in the West. Like, here's the joke. Adam, that's how I know that fucking Striker is amazing. He took a literal gods player, Zeus, and mimicked it for a mere human, Adam, and made it fucking work. He actually made the counterpick work for you. That, that works for Zeus because he's actually the best, mate. Like, it works for you because this guy fucking set the team up. Because, yeah, that's the thing people will always miss. It's like Flame told me in Season 8. If you want to be a carry top laner every game, the, ge- the, the actual question isn't, can you play carry champions? It's, can your bot lane play in, like, a safe manner so that you can not have to gank bot lane all the time? And if you notice in this team, that's exactly what they did. They set it up for top lane. So, yeah, I think Strikers has done a fucking awesome job. And this, by the way, like I say especially the last statement, PR masterclass, because you've gotten everything you want out of it, and now you even essentially give Adam a way back in, whereas I'll tell you what, I've seen this in sports, mate. If you know there's a public feud between a star and a coach, the worst thing you can do is it just becomes like a cold war and like tension, and you see them on the bench just not talking. That's like when it actually becomes like the public can take it and run with it. Striker essentially here, like I say, if Adam just behaves now, this never has to be an issue again. It'll never be brought up again. It'll just be happy families from now on. So I think he killed it, mate. I think he actually killed this whole thing. Great job. Yeah. I, I think this was actually one of the best ways. The funny thing about the funny thing about Wulu releasing this after the entire conversation we had is that it's absolutely possible that BDS themselves leaked this to Wulu and then did the PR to actually it's like put thing a- on team. There's also a world you could say, if you look at the way he phrased that, it actually doesn't then make sense that his website a few hours later would put out that very story. It almost implies one of two things. Either one, Wulu didn't have the info and it came to enduring the series, or two, he put that tweet out and Cosmophisto's point is like, well, do you just do this because people want to see it? And then he was like, yeah, shit, maybe people do want to see it. And then they went and got the info. So like, that's why it's so weird a tweet, isn't it? Because what's weird about the tweet is you'd almost think that was kayfabe. Like, what, are you setting it up that you don't have it? But then your site's the one that publishes it. What? That's a bit weird, isn't it? Now, or BDS themselves gave him the info or okayed the release of the info so they could seems do the much, PR spin. Seems, seems most likely to me. Come on. Seems because, because, like, honestly, them releasing that info is actually part of Adam's punishment. Legit. And then, they, and then yeah. they just make him feel good. So if they strategically released that without telling Adam that they were doing that and then came out publicly to defend him. Monty, I'll, for one of the only times ever, actually use this metaphor correctly. That makes BDS fucking pimps. Because if you know how a pimp works, yes, of course, he does that part where he goes like, bitch, where my money? 
But then afterwards he goes, oh, I'm sorry, baby. I don't want to have to do that to you. You know daddy loves you. Come on. Let's, let's, have, let's have a drink. Let's have a better day. Like, they always do the like cult leader thing where it's like they punish you, but then they bring you back with the love and the embrace so that then you're bonded to them, like trauma bonded, aren't you? So in this analogy, like, oh, I, do, I totally think that's what happened there, Monty. It's like this, uh, it, this almost, put it this way, if it didn't come from the BDS org, then you've accidentally benefited from what would have been the most cleverly coordinated media yes. campaign I've seen in years. Like, if I were you, by the way, don't ever take credit publicly maybe in a few years just do something like send me a dm of like a wink like that's all i need to say you know like short thing like hot fox or something you know winky do that face. send that that's all i need a little winky face exactly. yeah it's it's too funny um well in any case i i hope this works because obviously the takeaway here is not that we want adam to <laughs> leave the scene like more on that drama. Oh, holy shit. Well, I mean, it's a classic to be fair. Well, look, look yeah. it was it was the classic, but also it's interesting and also it it was a big deal in the playoffs. Oh, it was. Because yeah, yeah. I mean it affected the narratives. Like, let's be honest, it allowed Mad Lions Coy to get to the finals. Oh, it did. Yes. Yeah. By the way, before we get into that though, I actually want to tell you something. Since it is roughly 10 years since we started this show, I've got a piece of info for you that you will enjoy. Because you know one of the reasons I actually despise the very woo-loo thinking of like what you do is you cynically focus group. Like what does the what does my audience want? I'll just cynically give them exactly what they ask for instead of, you know, like an artist producing and expressing yourself authentically and then seeing if there is an audience and then seeing if you can cultivate that when they care about what you do, right? Which is the way legit artists does it, right? This is actually an piece of info for you. You know, this show is the most successful esports podcast ever, and it's lasted yeah. 10 years and million, tens of millions of views and all that shit, right? And still going strong now. We're still fucking killing it to this day. Still got loads of viewers now and mega average view times that never dropped off, all that shit, even when Monty took a break for like two years, right? What people wouldn't know is this, Monty, is if I listened to the advice of people like Wulu and the people who cultivate Wulu's mentality, this show wouldn't exist and would never be here. And here's why. Because when I told on gamers I was going to do this show, I was given the most dumb advice ever that everyone at the time thought made sense. If When you hear it, you'll immediately recognize it, Monty. It went like this, right? Because they were from the media landscape. They were like from CBS, mate. They were people who worked like... The joke is my cameraman and the people helping me with the show, the producer, they were like real world people who worked in LA like yeah, doing yeah. fucking jobs like, on TV and stuff so <clears throat> they told me right because they were used to the TV world they were like here's the parameters what you do is it's one hour exactly before the show every 10 minutes topic change and you give your guests the topic list before and you ask them what are a couple of your angles and what you do is you set the angle up a bit like you know someone would have like a Jimmy Fallon or something like that you go hey so I heard you recently you were in Arizona right and then they're like that funny you should say that because yeah my, my bloody cousin lives in a trailer and you wouldn't believe it and it's like mate that's canned material like you're told you that stuff that's not an authentic conversation so basically and the reason i was told i must do all this monty is i was told two things one people in esports have no attention span and they won't watch things for hours and two they hate when you have like a lot of digressions and tangents and you've got to stay really tight and on target now if you don't get it guys this wasn't actually a conscious decision but essentially i did to the opposite of every parameter i was given and i had checks notes the most successful podcast ever. Because basically what they didn't <laughs> understand at the time, I'll give them credit for, is this was 2014. What they didn't understand was 
We're doing it like Joe Rogan, mate. We just talk about whatever we want, whenever we want, for however many hours it lasts, and then we turn the fucking stream off. Like, if people don't know, if you think any of the shit I said earlier was funny, it's all off the fucking dome. We're not preparing this shit. Well, We're not like a script meeting in a writer's well, room. We're just doing it now. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you a funny Come anecdote from, from where I, when I was working on Overwatch League. So one of the many ways in which Overwatch League spent way too much fucking money, but one way that I really appreciated that they spent way too much fucking money was that they started uh, basically offering casters like coaching sessions, right? With like very oh, legit, yeah. yeah, very legit on camera yeah. personalities, including we had um, we had a guy who spent like a, a decade or two coaching ESPN personalities. That was very interesting feedback. Okay. But one of the sessions that we had, so they brought in a guy who is a literal Super Bowl executive producer, the top producer of the Super Bowl as a consultant to come in to consult on production. Okay. So he's like walking around the studio and he starts doing meetings with the casters. And so Doa and I are having a meeting with him and he's like, you guys are great. And, and we're like, well, you know, we wish we could have had these things. You know, we start listing off like production assets and, and everything that we would like to have to make our cast better. And he's like, wait, you don't have any of these things. And you guys are doing this right now yes. and it's all off the cuff and off of your own research. And he's like, excuse me, I am going to go talk to production now. And he just went and reamed out production. He was like, I have no feedback for you. You guys are fucking amazing. And because he's used to working with talent that have had they're spoon fed, even the, the professionals that are making literally $10 million a year casting the NFL. And the thing that, I realized, and like this is a core principle of Last Free Nation, guys, is that Thorin's the thing that Thorin was advised to do is expensive because you need to have uh, producers who come and like write down all of the notes and like prepare the guests and everything like that, get everything ready for the show. We don't need that. And one of the very special skills of not just myself and Thorin, but our partners on LFN, whether they're streamers or whether they're esports casters, is that we have been trained through the brutal realities of esports to speak unscripted and be entertaining, entertaining and informative for hours and hours and hours of pauses and downtime and everything out there. And so I said to myself, what if we just made a podcast company that could cut costs that other podcasts have because we just rely on our talent to be talented and we just give them the money and the equity instead? Like that's the core concept of LFN. And that's why I believe we can only not only do esports, but we started to do the culture content and the traditional sports content too, because we have a skill set that is unlike other commentators in other sports who are just hand fed and like controlled throughout that entire broadcast. And they are actually incapable of doing what we do. Actually incapable of it. So I agree, is the answer. And I've been told as much by sports professionals. Yeah, but the problem <laughs> is, Monty. You're a stinky right-wing chud. I don't know why, by the way. <laughs> Nothing about your personality or anything about your persona has ever been vaguely right-wing or conservative. I don't, don't really care myself. I don't. You don't know what is actually the definition of a classical liberal, you fucking idiot. Yes, you don't know exactly. And then, oh, 
your problem is you doomed yourself because esports is all about optics, Greenwall, shout out. Because basically, all people care about is names, right? So you made a company called Last Free Nation, which sounds so evil, said someone who works in a game where literally skin sales in that game could be used and maybe are used by the CCCP to be like, hmm, actually, build another camp in that autonomous zone. I love Seraphine too. Great. And then if not, then they go, oh, I'm getting tired of working for China. I think I'll take a break and work for Saudi Arabia, who are killing people at the border and putting journalists in prison. Oh, wait a minute. Monty called his company Last Free Nation. Now, now, Monty, does that have any place in esports? Like, it's getting too far it's too far mate if you think we're exaggerating you can look this up you can look this up like the Tencent has basically been tithed by the Chinese government as part of like you know like a system to put like they basically told a bunch of the biggest companies like give us money for the prosperity and the greater good of China. So yes, there actually is now a direct line from riots profits to 10 cents yeah. profits to them just, just paying the Chinese government. So it's not really obfuscated anymore. It's just sitting there. Um, but yeah, that's that. I mean, I, I think the whole thing is ridiculous because your point, I, I basically am a classical liberal. Um, so, and I'm quite moderate politically, so I'm not really sure where all of this comes from, but, um, yeah, I, I think that before we end the bit, the Adam thing though, I have something to say, Monty, which is, I want to talk about the factor that has made me learn something about legal edges from the Adam <laughs> okay, situation. So that's your cue there. So basically, <laughs> If you are someone who wants a quick solution, then fact it is for you. Because you know what? It can only take a couple of minutes to make the life-changing decision that benefits you right now, just like when BDS benched Adam because it was just the right thing for their health in that moment. Only took a couple of minutes and they had an alternative available. It's less expensive when you use Factor than cooking and buying the things yourself, just like it was less expensive for BDS to just bench Adam and not deal with his BS. <laughs> also, if you think Adam, with that context of what he said about Upset's wife and then repeated jabs in it over the years, I mean, it's just so delicious. Oh, it's so fucking rich, isn't it? What he did, the behavior, the hypocrisy. I mean, it's almost like a gourmet meal. Speaking of which, actually, Factor has their own gourmet plus line, which has fast upscale options available at all times. If you do, if you have to bench some idiot like Adam, yeah, obviously you're not going to have a lot of time to prepare, right? Well, good news is Factor needs no prep. It's 100% ready. And all you have to do is just like Adam, once it gets heated, then it gets heated. Actually, it would be the word, but you get the point there. So basically... Go to factormeals.com slash LFN50 for 50% off. I, that's right. Since people like Adam are slow learners and have to be told something many times before it sinks in. Adam, that's factormeals.com slash cut, cutting something, slashing it in half like your ego and your future, slash LFN50 for how much? 50% off. <laughs> and that's right, Thorin. Not only that, but it's not an upgrade. It, it, it's an upgrade to your meal. Unlike Gen X, you're not bringing in yes. some kind of like tier two. This will actually yes. enhance your culinary performance overall. So slightly different, but 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 better. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Beautifully done. Beautifully done, Thorin. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the finals. I guess and we can talk about Fnatic. Do you want to do you want to touch on Fnatic briefly and their surprising and shocking exit? <laughs> you know what? All I'll say is this, Monty. Right, being as I did do things like pick 
fucking, I don't know, I think I had Carmine Corp second or third in my list. I had like uh, fucking Vitality quite high up. I had Team Rex maybe for most of the split as my second mistake. I won't say that I can claim like, I bloody told you, because I got it wrong on most of the split, right? But I will say this, if people wonder why I've never gotten on that train, you'll notice on all the episodes, mate, even if I said like Fnatic are going to come third or they could battle with BDS for second, it was always like with a sort of dismay in my voice. And I know people don't get that because they're like, well, what? they've kept most of the team and it was a top team in summer last year at the season finals and you know like aren't they good shouldn't you be cheering for them this is why I've never been in on this team mate because bro they should have beaten like the fucking normal mad lions like the idea this team can lose a best of five to how like the pl here's the problem I have I know how mad lions is a better actual team and the concept of yes. team like how they play but bro the Fnatic players should be winning this series all day long their player strength they have it can be awesome and I have to say it all comes back to the one factor I always hinge on mate you can have your issues about like Oscar and maybe he wasn't as strong towards the end of the split how did Noah play maybe he was better towards the end but he wasn't good in the rest no here's my biggest problem their main star player is humanoid and he does this all the time mate every time he has that pop off game one in every four games we all go he's back humanoid baby yeah Marek Brazda all the memes you're fucking he's a carly he's I'll tell you what though where the fuck ever he is in, in game five where is he ever since Mad Lions ended when it's the important game? Nowhere to be fucking found, mate. And he disappeared again in this series. Like, I, I, I am actually shocked for that Gloucester as well. I'm not going to flame them super hard, but I, I just think it's so underwhelming. Like, here's the thing. It's one thing if they just came third. How they came fourth, like, you almost had to try this split. Like, I, I, I'm shocked that Fnatic collapsed like that. No. It was really disappointing. This was one of the worst players of the whole fucking year, I feel like. Yeah. I, I mean, they also really struggled you know, from, from kind of like dumb outlier things, like the fact that they got completely wrecked at level one in game number three. Oh, uh, that was hilarious. <laughs> it was very funny. Like it was like a 10 man in the top lane and like, Look, it's a best of five, so teams do let shit like that in best of fives because each individual game matters less, right? And you can kind of, like, steal a win sometimes. And I think they did a pretty good job of battling back in spite of the fucking disastrous circumstances that started that game. Um, not only that, but I think they played pretty well in game number four overall. But if we go to game number five, this is... <clears throat> I'm just going to rant for a second about something that's been bothering me globally in League of Legends right now is we have this meta where there are a lot of engaged champions being banned. Um, so, you know, it's either engage AD carries, you know, that have an ult that can engage, like Ash, obviously, or Callista, or Varus, for example. Um, and we also see junglers um, that can engage being, being banned out or taken away early. So like, obviously Maokai is the most important one, but to a lesser degree, degree, like Sejuani, we've seen Zach now come into the meta, um, as a flex pick, particularly in Europe. Um, but one of the issues that I think has plagued a lot of teams and plagued Fnatic in this final game is that Many teams are playing compositions that lack a form of primary engage. And you can do that, but it often requires you to either win lanes super hard and snowball, or which also results in the second thing that I'm going to talk about right now, or it, you have to be on objectives first, like a dragon or a baron, and you have to maintain vision control so the other team is forced to play into you. Right. And 
to a degree, you know, I think that when we look at Fnatic's composition, they have Ezreal Karma into Senna Maokai. Ezreal Karma clearly going to push. This is one of the best pushing lanes in the game. We saw it a lot in the last couple of years as a Caitlyn Lux counter into that pressure that that, that duo creates. You have a Tristana, very good at pushing, especially early, uh, you know, in the game, in the mid lane. We often see that champion band out. They get the Gwen in the top side as a counterpick to Cassante. And you have a Poppy who is great, by the way, at diving all of these lanes that are going to be pushed up. So what this is, is a very hard pressure win lane. Let's get some early dragon stacks. Hey, maybe if we can push a bot side, we can get the first two Drakes. Oh, okay. Well, then now we can say we're going to have priority. Their mid and bot, uh, their mid and bot uh, outer turrets are going to be gone. We can ward up the jungle. Now they're going to have to play into us for the next two drakes. We get soul. We can kind of snowball this game out. Now the problem is, is that when you fumble it, like we saw humanoid just randomly dying in the mid lane, it relieves that pressure, and the other team has an opportunity to maybe get a drake and then slow well, down the pace it. of the game. This is just a pet peeve of mine, but I actually do fucking lose my shit when people play Tristana and die by going in or get fucked up by going in. It's like, bro, the reason Reckless played it his whole career is to you to get out, you fucking <laughs> idiot. You use it to not die. It's like Ezreal's that just go in and die, mate. It's like, bro, the E gets you out. You fucking play against the champion. You'll realize what a nightmare it is because that's one of the problems. He can be good on that champion, but he's trash at that, mate. So many times he goes in, it's stupid. Yeah, and, and like he shouldn't have died, obviously in the mid lane. Yes. Like he shouldn't have died. Period. Yes. Um, and and that did that did kind of relieve the pressure. Five with this comp, like you're right. saying, like bro, that's the, the one win condition for you. Humanoids just stay alive in lane, basically. Like, so, so like <laughs> I I do like the draft in that they they drafted themselves a really powerful yeah. dive jungler with a yep. lot of pressing lanes. Now the issue with that is like once you start to lose control of objectives or you make mistakes. The, the punish is really strong, and you just don't have tools to engage in the mid lane game. If you guys want to see actually a hilarious example of what I'm talking about, when I say no primary engage compositions, like look at the game, game three this last week between Kwangdong Freaks and Fear X. Just watch it. It is fucking so funny, guys. Like the mid, they're both mid lane outer turrets are up until 28 minutes into the game. Neither team can do anything on the map because neither team is actually capable of pulling the trigger. And when I say primary engage, I mean like Maokai. Like these are non committal forms of engage. Maokai ult, because you don't have to go in, right? So there's non committal primary engage. Maokai ult, Sejuani ult, um, uh, you know, Vi ult, Nautilus ult, or Nautilus hook, um, Ash ult. Um, th then there's like, th so there's also like committal forms of engage. So these are ones where like once you're in, you're in. So it's like Rel or Alistair engages, right? These kind of, of engages or Vi engage, right? You have to commit to the fight. Like once you go in, there's no getting out of that situation. Azir shuffle potentially. But Azir shuffle is dependent on factors. Like you can't always just go in there. Like if there's a Talia, it becomes really hard, obviously. So you want, I consider when there are other factors at play, like let's say Nar ult. I would not consider that a form of primary engage. Now, Zach leaping in and ulting, primary form of engage, right? Um, so, you know, a follow-up for like a secondary form of engage might be tidal wave, right? Like once your team's in, that's when the tidal wave comes through. Um, or Renata Glasgolds, like hostile takeover. That would be a form of a potentially secondary engage. Um, and we see karma and like karma speed can is kind of easily kited out 
You know what I mean? So there's a lot of factors that go into play, but when you don't have a form of primary engage, it becomes really hard if you lose objective priority to actually muscle in on your opponent and take a fight on your terms because you, you just get kited, right? Or you actually just can't get in on them because anytime you walk forward, they just hit you with a Maokai ult, right? Or a Vi ult, um, and they get priority targets. So it becomes, I think, really difficult to play the game. And a lot of teams these days are actually just playing compositions that lack entirely a form of primary engage. And that, to me, is a very risky proposition. And we kind of saw it here. So when Fnatic didn't kind of get the lane snowball as much as they wanted, there's also going to be talk about their dumb macro. Yes, I mean, they let an Azir with fucking Nasher's Tooth and Rabadon's Death Cap split push against them. There's a reason why Chovy likes this champion, guys. It's because Azir is actually an extremely good split pusher. Um, and Frescovi did a good job with that. Like, there's also the fact that they they were, like, taking enemy blue buff while he was killing their inhib turrets. They literally traded the game for Baron Scuttle Crab and enemy blue. Like, this is obviously extremely dumb macro decisions that they were making, but I think it's easy to criticize that. But the thing that it's a little bit harder, like, it's harder to see is that you have to ask yourself, how do they engage? How do they fucking stop this from happening? Like, it's very, very hard when you're trying to play into Vi, Azir, and Maokai to engage, even if you have that Karma and the Gwen. Like, Karma's great at speeding up Gwen and getting Gwen into the backline, but if Gwen's just getting kited, like, it becomes super, super difficult to do that. Compile on that the mechanical mistakes, like, you know, Noah made a positional error where he thought that Gwen Shroud would block Maokai ult. That's not the way Gwen, Gwen Shroud root works. I, Noah found that out the really hard way. That it, if Gwen stands in front of you and Gwen is immune, of course, Gwen does not block Maokai ult, and so you yeah. get snared. And he had he had already like eed forward in that fight, so he's just fucked. You know what I mean? Yep. He dies. You know the game is over. Um, so it was a sloppy game from Fnatic. It was a a tragic mid lane loss. Like. When you play these full press compositions, you have to play them really snowbally. And if the snowball fails to emerge, then you have uh, then you have this occur. So, like, I I don't know. I'm just not. But my point of this is is like I'm not a fan of all of these compositions that are popping up. And the reason why is because a lot of the meta engaged champions are being banned, and a lot of the other priority meta champions like Karma. You know, Cassante, they do not actually have primary engage. And Cassante is not primary engage, guys. Let me be very clear about this. He isolates a target after you've engaged. Or he flanks and isolates a target. And he can clean up fights. He's a great janitor. But he is not a form of primary engage to start a team fight. He is not. Um, it's not the way he's played professionally. It's not the way his kit works. You get mad because once he starts all, you know, once he goes all out, then he finds a target, kills them, and then just kills everybody else one by one on the team. So, but he doesn't start the fight. He just ends it. You know, <laughs> that's that's how it goes. Um, and he's very good in lane, obviously. So, yeah, I, I think, I think, like, this is, it's, it's really disappointing. Like, I think Fnatic didn't come through, obviously, when it really mattered. Um, and we expected better from them, 
there was a you know some level one shenanigans that got them behind but game five was depressing to your point and like humanoid didn't do his job and the team had horrible macro but the comp also didn't allow them to fight back very effectively if they didn't snowball in the early game and i think that point is worth mentioning is that when you pick that when you opt into that style you better be fucking winning early you better be taking turrets you better be stacking those drakes because if you're not that that other composition is simply going to outscale you and they are going to have so much more versatility in terms of dictating fights on their own terms and that is huge I also think when you now look in hindsight, it makes sense why Mad Lions was able to actually edge out Fnatic. Because if you look, first of all, one thing I'll give mad props to Mad Lions for is I actually think they played better in this lower bracket than they have on the whole fucking split. Like, they look like they got better each series that was going on. So one of the interesting things about their team, Monty, is I've almost never seen a team like this. They're almost on some, like, rogue time shit. They're, like, they're actually sort of decent early, better than you expect. In the middles where it can go fucking wrong. They sometimes do some weird shit then. But actually, the late game macro is pretty good, actually. Like, especially for so many rookies. Like, the amount of times, like, whereas Fnatic have actually been quite poor in that area. The amount of times I've seen them late in a game just make the right move or decide play and I'll play some like way more veteran team with bigger name players and then I'll even say I actually think even some of the players I've critiqued Monty like I've, I've most of the split I thought the Frascawi guy was just nothing mid he's actually played pretty well in some of these playoff series mate he's had some big games so fair play they've got yeah. it all together yeah look I, I think Frascovi has been like his Gragas game was particularly good um, that he played in, in game three versus Fnatic. Like, he's had some good Talia performances. He's not my favorite player on this team, obviously. Like, Mirwin. I mean, Mirwin, Mirwin and Alvaro are are very legit players. Uh, well, and it's very just exciting. Just the pull the Mirwin guy has is so fucking dope. Like, that's not a joke. He really does play that Varus, and he's fucking really good on it. It's like <laughs> a fucking baller, isn't it? I yeah, because by the I, way, I'd say the Adam thing earlier. When someone has a champion pull at that mate, it's not him just doing it on his own. The team and the coach have to be accounting for it and building the comps to let it work. Like that actually shows he's integrated into his team. He's not just some wild character doing what he wants. Like they're making those fucking picks work. Yeah, and, and they, yeah, like you said, they're playing the champion pool extremely effectively around his style and. That's great. I mean, it was even yes. surprising that he was willing to pull out the Yasuo, which he hasn't pulled out in LEC yet, in the first yep. game of the finals. And uh, again... Gangsters, think about that. In game one of the final against G2, when you're a fucking rookie, just bring me the Yasuo in game one. What are you talking... That's like how you like tilt so, yourself off the face. This guy's got balls, mate. He has balls. I mean, we can we can switch to the the Mad, Li Mad Lions uh, G2 series now because that game one was really great, guys. I, I thoroughly yeah, enjoyed that game one. Um, credit to Melzat, by the way. I know we talked a lot about Striker and like obviously there were questions yep. about replacing Mac. Um, but Melzat, I mean, you look at this draft. This was one of the most fun drafts I have seen in a while. Like. G2 has had some fucking banger drafts throughout this playoffs, but the way that Mad Lions Koi played the red side in the draft and just got the better of G2 was really exciting to watch because I don't think, if I had to guess, Thorin, I don't think that Broken Blade practiced Akali, and I don't think that Caps practiced, practiced Twisted Fate. Just watching that game, I have a feeling that maybe they weren't the most ready for well, why what was, was going so out of this draft. The Zach would just put on your jungle, wasn't it? Yep. It's like, okay, we're taking your pick, Brunkle, <laughs> so, but we don't have to ban it. That was so, clever, I thought, yeah. Yeah, so in the first four picks on red side, they had Zach and Rel. 
So you don't know whether Zack is top or jungle yep. or Rel is support it. or jungle. So you're kind of just sitting there and you want the twisted fate, right? And so, okay, like you see what you see what's coming out of this draft. You def you don't want to play Twisted Fate into Oriana. That's not a great matchup for TF. Um, and so you want to kind of to play him in the top side. I don't know what the Zach TF matchup is like, but I think it's I would think it's probably okay at least for for Twisted Fate. But what was the real masterstroke here is like, so when you see the TF coming in, right, and they, they finish their draft, by having this flexibility in the way that you've picked your champions, by picking the Yasuo into the top lane, you ba it basically means you cannot play the Twisted Fate in that lane. Because Yasuo will just win wall, pick a card, and then all in you. So you really get mega fucked, because win wall just blocks all of his abilities, and he can just block your CC, dash through a minion wave, and just trade extremely effectively with you, right? He, as we saw later in this game, you can win wall, pick a card at melee range, basically. Like, so he can't do anything. It's a terrible matchup. So then you're you're dealing with a scenario, well, now we have to play fucking Akali. I guess we have to play a topside. That's not an awesome matchup for Akali either. And so then we have to play Twisted Fate into Orianna. When you see pick a card, Orianna just shields herself, and that's it. Right. So it's not an awesome matchup for Twisted Fate. So this is a really great draft where they force G2 into a really uncomfortable situation. And Thorin, to Melzet's credit, how often do we see Dylan Falco get like almost never in an LEC finals? The joke is, is that might be the first guy ever, except when he had reckless to fucking be able to get this guy in the draft. It was ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and, and by the, the way, and also even more gangster bit, they then won the game. Yeah. That's why it actually wants mad hype. You're like, holy shit, is this possible? Is this going to be like this the whole way? Sadly, and won, won the game, won the game very convincingly too. And yes. not only that, Thorin, but it's not like, oh, well, he got, you know, nicely done, Mad Lions Koi. You got some cool lane matchups. Like you got a bunch of winning lanes because of your cleverness in the draft. It's not just that the, the Yasuo was such a good pick there. It's the fact that look at what Yasuo was paired with. Look what can trigger Yasuo's ult. Yes. Oriana ult, Zach ult, you know, Rel engage. Like he has so many ways to get multi-man ults in this situation. Dude, even when the, if the fucking ADC ults, then you can just do all your ult on them as well. Like it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like everything just helps him get help, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Smart. So, so basically it's like mad, mad AoE knockups or knockbacks yes. uh, that trigger Yasuo yes. ult. So by the way, if you group any team fight, you're going to get a at least a probably two, three player AOE CC that's going to trigger a Yasuo. Yes. So that's great for you right there. How does Akali live in Shroud, Thorin? There's like fucking tornadoes going through there. There's shockwaves going through there. Chain of Corruption can be shot in there. Rel Engage can go in there. Yep. Zack Engage can go in there. How do you stay alive if you're Akali? There is no hiding because these are all untargeted CC abilities. So Akali is going to have a massive problem. And I do want to give some credit to G2 because in this game, they really fucked up with the first TF ult by diving too far. Because remember, TF is actually AP in this game, not AD like we've yes, seen it previously it in the, the playoffs. One, the OP one, yeah. And yeah. He's, like, he's like at level six and they're trying to get Supa and like Caps appears and he like throws a card out and like throws the wild cards and, and it does no damage. And I look at his items and he's got like a fucking Doran's ring and a ruby crystal and a sapphire crystal because he's building Rod of Ages. Yeah, and I'm just like, 
what did did you think you were gonna like one v one this guy? Like, no, you're not gonna do that. Uh, and then he, you know, they all die, get a huge deficit. But this is also where G two is really good, guys, because in spite of G two being so far behind, um, they were still running this composition. This is a pick comp. The only way G two wins this game is by picking people off with Twisted Fate, Nautilus, and Vi before they can group up because they cannot win a front-to-back team fight. Let me be very clear. They cannot win that. That is impossible compositionally between these two teams. So they actually did do a very good job of intercepting members of Mad Lion's Koi. You also get to see why Mad Lion's Koi is a rookie team because one of the funniest things I thought, Thorne, about this game was a way they almost lost it was that they were sieging Tier 1 in the mid lane, and Supa walks up to this turret because they're like, oh, we're so clever. El Yoyo is going to be in their raptor pit, and when they come, we will spring the engage trap on them. But the funny thing, Thorin, is they fucking had Twisted Fate. So all Caps did was press R, reveal their trap, teleport in, kill Supa before they could engage, and it, it nearly cost them the game. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So I, I don't know... And even funnier, Thorin, the very next game, they try and run that trap again. And they also, at that time, they actually do lose the game from like, because G2 is like, we know they're there. They were there in the exact same place in the last game, also with the Zack. And so they just killed them. Um, so, you know, maybe the, the like team composition and strengths really aren't fully drilled into Mad Lions yet, which is understandable, right? One of G2's specialties is like, playing to their team composition's win condition, doing the creative shot calling. Um, and that versatility just wasn't there when we saw the same thing uh, from Mad Lions. So they had a good showing, particularly game one. You still got to see the flaws. Um, G2, I think, fought back about as well as you could possibly ask for, yeah. given the deficit and the, the the win conditions of their composition. Like, playing a pick comp from a from a massive deficit is one of the hardest things to do in League of Legends. Because you have no map control. So if you're able to like almost kind of get back into it like G2 did, that's very impressive. By the way, later in the series, I forget which game might even be game four, I forget. There was a game where it was the one where Mickey X kept like inting the game, right? But someone made a point on Reddit, and I actually think it's such a banger point, but I thought I'd save it for you. They said, because it's kind of true, it's almost like though, you know the famous thing. I can't remember who it was who invented that concept. Was it actually Dom who invented the concept of the positive inter who gave that label? I forget. But basically it's the idea that like you have players who sort of make action up, and classically Hillisang was this player, obviously. And even though you int, it's positive in the sense either you needed to like, you know, force like a moment in the game or it makes the actual enemy sometimes tunnel on you right the joke is it's like when Mickey plays Nautilus he actually does mind game the other team this is my addition of, like, I'll give a better characterization than his comment did essentially his joke is he becomes the laser pointed to the cats because what happens is cause he hits a couple of times like a solo game they all get horny like if we see the support it's a free kill and then the joke is it just makes the opponent go in and give you like chances to win the game if you're G2 like it actually is like it's almost like part of me wants to 
believe that is what he's doing consciously. But I will say, Mickey X is so legit. He is one of those players privately, Monty, that has told me, like, that, that casters and analysts do actually, like, even overrate what he does. And that he says he has watched, like, analysts and people do VOD reviews and be like, genius by Mickey. Look at the way he did this base <laughs> thing. He knew he could get a cheater recall off and he could come back with these. And he's like, I didn't do that at all. Like, I had nothing to do on the map. So I was like, I'll just go back to base, actually. Like, and so the fun of it is, like, none of these guys really are, like, 700 IQ. They're just really good players, guys. They just play off instinct. So it just happens to work out in his favor if you if he hits at all. <laughs> I wish it was true though that it was like planned as some like master stroke, you know. Well, it's it's like it's all the it's all the old Moscow <laughs> five it. stories over and over again. It's exactly. like no, we just hated yes. each other, like because <laughs> yes. he you know, that was basically what he told me is that people would be like going way too deep, like, and he obviously knew this matchup where he's like, I didn't know that at all. I just fucking pick, I picked the champions player. You know, like, it, it was that you know M 5s genius was actually just a bunch of Russians <laughs> like punching each other in the face and like getting angry basically. at each other and all doing yes. their own thing that worked out randomly for some reason. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's too funny. Um, but yeah, it, look, G2 wins. Broken Blade has like a fucking mega series, guys. This is this is kind of... Did you see, Monty? There was a very interesting thing he said after the final. Did everyone see this? He actually acknowledged himself. He thanked Alfari and said mm. Alfari had been helping him, like almost like positional coaching with like matchups and stuff. That was a very interesting thing to reveal after you've won the split, isn't it? I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think I and people people say like, oh, G two isn't that good. Guys, G two is a very good team. G two is a very good the team. Backing, yeah. Especially and, by the end, they look up, yeah. And and the complaints that I hear, like, oh, you know, what about Broken Blade Blade and Yike at international competitions? I keep saying this, but like Broken Blade was their best performing player at MSI last year. That's not a controversial statement. He looked like shit going into MSI and then actually had a good MSI. Yeah. Uh and Yike is a young player, it's but now has two tournaments for fuck's sake. It's, it's, yeah. it's only his second year, guys. Give him a chance. It's, it's only his second year. <laughs> and and yeah. also, like, you know, there's an argument that he was MVP of, of this pretty series. Good, yeah. He was great, too. Uh, we see that versatility with him. Um, so, you know, it's a very well-coached team. The individual players are good. Can they hold up internationally? I, I, look, I think that this team can still take games off of very good Asian teams and can take series off of lower kind of, like, you know, fourth seed, third seed Asian teams. I do think they are that good. Uh, that's why I put them 10th on my power rankings. Um, ripped and I'll my just power... say this. <laughs> this is why I always told Dom this angle that people never truly understand. This is why, in his own way, Perks was the ultimate gangster GM of Europe. Because, you know, he was like the secret GM of G2. Because I always thought his most genius move ever, Monty, if you think about how history and narratives work, is at the time when Caps had ascended and was on the rival team, Fnatic, and was probably now, remember at that point, Kirk's had his four titles, but it's probably going to end now. This fucking Caps guy's going to run the table and I'm going to come second or third. Maybe I nick the odd one from him. And suddenly I'll have my four. But you know what? If, if this goes like this, he's won two in Fnatic already. Fucking like three or four years, he's going to have six, isn't he? He's going to be ahead of me. What if I recruit him, play with him, and we get to share each of the titles during part of his prime? And even though now, Caps, like, now will have catched up in terms of splits, it took, like, three or four extra years. That's gangster, mate. Where you actually get your, the guy who would, like, essentially, instead of losing 1v1, you you just get to, like, draft, like, NASCAR style behind his resume the whole way. And then it's only now years later, and when Perks has done nothing, that finally Caps took over in terms of resume. Like, that's actually, like, genius. Because, you know, there's a concept that goes in sports now, which is 
true, by the way, that like, it's not even you just play directly against your opponent. Now they're all doing all this shit in media where they all like push narratives and have their guy and they just like try and control the... Na- like famously people say the reason that last dance documentary was made, Monty, is because that was like right... At- Supposedly for real, the story goes that when um, LeBron won that title over the Warriors and everyone was like, what an insane accomplishment. Like you beat the best team ever or whatever. Supposedly Michael Jordan just sort of told his guy like, yeah, get working on that fucking documentary actually because people <laughs> were finally saying like, he might be the greatest basketball ever. And that's like all Michael Jordan hits like, um, activate sleeper agent last dance like you know go go go, go. Like, it was like that so like the What's joke so- is it's like Perks did that he saw the future and he was like you know what I don't want to be like 10 titles behind that let me get four of those can I have I'll share those I think that's gangster What's, what still blows my mind about the last dance is that they were just sitting on all of that footage for that's like it, 20 you know plus what I mean? years when I, when I even heard that concept I thought oh it's going to be all like scoffed like you know like a bit of a uh, thing from the crowd or you know someone had like a tiny bit from an interview the joke is you watch it and you're like Bro, you had the most insane behind-the-scenes access of everything for like twenty plus years. Here. That what were we waiting for? This could have been exactly. blockbuster at any time in history, couldn't it? Like if this came out, in like by the way, if this even came out after Mike John retired, we'd have all watched it. It'd been insane, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was really on it at all. It's wild. And think of how the series was. That's implied they had loads probably hit the cotton room floor. Like that was fucking amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm sure they there was some extra spicy stuff in there that wasn't shared as well. As well. Or maybe, if you think of the timing, that's just when tech solutions became available to fake history. (laughs) But this isn't that sort of a stream, guys. League of Legends. Keep keep moving on. Keep moving on. Um, All right. Uh, So let's let's talk a little bit about LCK this week um because again guys we didn't have lcs to discuss uh because it yes. it wasn't it wasn't on um and lpl was also on break although thor and shout out to my power rankings because i had a bunch of t1 fans saying monty why is blg over t1 even after t1 literally lost to, to gen g so like i put them so here's here's the- here's, the, here's what i can't handle it goes like this when t1 wins monty if you said they won't win you are wrong you must acknowledge that. And then thirdly, you must apologize. But when T1 loses and you say they'll lose, they go, don't say they lost. They still should have won. And you are wrong anyway. It's like, what? Is it? I don't know about you guys, but when I know the casino rigs the game, I stop playing. I don't go, well, let me get more money. Like, I just stop giving a fuck at that point in time. So, what are we doing so, uh, hold on, game's oh, stupid. The, the logic is also hilarious because they're like, Come well, on. T1 clapped all of those Chinese teams at Worlds ignoring the fact that BLG now, of course yeah no. <laughs> the BLG now has knights that's a pretty substantial difference one might say knight is what well, hey, you know what's funny about that monty if if you can use that logic are you ready for my logic i'll spin back on you if all you if you're allowed to remove the mid laner then i can talk about a whole bunch of lck teams clapping t1 last turn summer <laughs> yeah exactly if you're, allowed, so if you're allowed to remove the mid laner fucking hell self-awareness so, guys so so i have to acknowledge that because t1 beat uh, blg at worlds T1 is currently the better team in spite of the fact that T1 lost to BLG at MSI and then spent the, the, and spent the entire year, by the way, T1 spent the entire year being the second best Korean team. So I just ignore everything that happened previous to worlds. I ignore the fact that BLG has night. Now I ignore the fact that T1 lost to Gen G now, despite the fact that I put Gen G below T1, on the rankings because Genji lost to KT, right? 
But of course, now I'm going to eat shit because while we were recording this, BLG just got blown the fuck out by IG. So now I just look dumb. <laughs> no, because here's the thing, Monty. It's the fact it's IG that saves you. And here's why. Because anyone who watches the LPL knows there's a type of result that genuinely we just ignore because it's an outlier. Which is, you know, it's, it's not that they lost to top esports, like another rival, right? It's always the dominant team in China always loses one series minimum to complete nobody shitters. <laughs> That's even why, spoiler, all I'll say again is if someone's a fan of like Iron Wolves in the Polish League, I'm kind of suspicious about any weird results involving Chinese players and teams because, spoiler, you know how this works, Monty. The number one time to throw a game for match fixing would be when your team should never lose and has insane odds. That's literally the scenario you are selected for. But anyway, I'll just say to on this show, to make it not controversial, I'll just say this. I think it's a factor of the fact that you play so many best of threes and that essentially because you play each team once, you're going to get, like in Korean Brood War, you're going to get a, a random team that'll snipe you. They'll just have the right angle, right. the right player, the, they'll catch you on a bad day and they'll always be that one upset. So the difference is, here's yeah. what I find whack about that. The IG one, you can just dismiss. Who gives a fuck? The difference is T1 just straight up in a massive game lost to Gen G, where they definitely would try hard and wanted to win that game. Like this, Even though I'm sort of saying you lost to a better team, the circumstances in some ways are worse for you, I actually think. I think you can put aside the IG result. That right. happens every split, guys. Every also, split. Come on. also, people will point out the fact that IG is actually like second place in LPL. Well, it's strength of schedule, guys. That. They, they play. <laughs> they all. played. I, their win. Three of their wins are against IG, Rare Adam, and Thunder Talk. Three of yes. the bottom four teams in the league. They got clapped by NIP, and then they beat RNG two one. So no, nobody. Even though you they were, they were four and one coming into today. Nobody thought they were going to beat BLG. <laughs> And you think that the standings of the LPL are accurate. Well, right now, anyone's legend is sixth, and they're above top esports and Weibo. So basically, <laughs> if, you want to make, if you want to make a public bet, I'll take very favorable odds, because obviously you're taking the favorite here. I'll take odds that those teams' top esports and Weibo are better than anyone's legend, but you guys must think the standings are legit. So you'll take that action all day long, right? I'm going to extend $10,000 as potential cap for this. So who wants in on that? money come on in guys come on with the any one's legend because <laughs> no. if you don't know like what he's saying because you play once each team the strength of schedule always is what defines the yes. lpl you don't really know who's good until they're basically like on the last three or four series like until then there's always a team like you're like the like the joke is even though actually lng has shitted the bed part of their problem Monty, is they also had an insane schedule you'll notice they played most of the big names first so yes. they were always going to look worse anyway i, I mean know, they did like they coasted a bit you know yeah it's, a bit, it's just like that just I mean, L LNG also lost to FBX tonight, and they were on my top ten yeah. too. Uh, and they're not the losing, the beatings are not going to continue to stop, or to, the, the beatings are going to continue, guys. Because here's another point, Monty. Here's something I'm sick and tired of. It's a fucking power ranking. He is ranking today what their power is. There is zero predictive power in that. He is not saying next week they will be good. So if you say you had that team top ten, but now they lost, yeah, I did that before they lost, dumb fuck. So guess what? When they lose, if you know how power rankings work, that will. Literally make them go down. Like it's really not that hard to figure out, is it? And also the idea on a power ranking—that's even worse, Monty. Hey, I'm doing the power ranking, guys, of this week in League of Legends. First thing I'll be considering is how did these teams play at Worlds last year? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You're doing it all wrong, guys. Well, it's like also, when we do those pen segments and everyone comes in the comments and they take all the like 3.2 odds underdogs I'm taking and they go, "That team's not going to win." It's like, <laughs> oh, shit. 
No, he had to turn to the favorite. Fucking hell. Holy shit. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Also, the fact that they, they see the, the, the fans seem to take power rankings as like the ironclad rankings of yes. if we played worlds, this is how yep, exactly. the teams would finish. Yes. Where it's like, really, I would say that any team in the top five would be considered a world's contender at this point in time. Also, give me an angle, Monty. Here's another thing they don't get about power rankings. It's just about form. So here's the example. Last summer, you actually probably would have had to put BLG over JDG, even though JDG was the best team in the world, because the power ranking was BLG almost never lost, if everyone remembers. So it's also not a ranking of whoever's number one would definitely beat number two, three, four, five, six, seven, a hundred percent. Like that's obviously absurd to think. People literally just get so bad about just being number two as opposed to number one and not saying like these are the two best teams in the world and probably would be like, like if I if if I would say BLG is currently number one, I would say that if T1 and BLG played a best of five right now today, maybe BLG would win 52 percent of the time. That's what that could mean, guys. That's literally what that could mean. <laughs> anyway, hilarious. Here's the problem, though. The reason why T1 fans particularly are the worst for that, Monty, is like I just said, it's always an unfalsifiable position. Whatever happens in reality that they like proves they're right and you're wrong. But then when reality doesn't match up with what they like, reality's wrong. Like, guys, listen. There's one thing I've learned in life. You can't dispute reality. That's the thing that is objectively happening, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's the other way around, guys. Your internal subjective madness isn't what actually supersedes the rest of the world. That's actually the opinion of a serial killer, if you don't understand that particular worldview. So I don't care what your fantasy about T1 is. Monty's job is just to tell you how well the teams are playing and who's got the most strength at the moment. You know, let's say it like the title, power ranking. Essentially, what Monty's doing is like fucking Vegeta early on, like, oh, it's power level over 9,000. Like, you're like, no, it's He's like Super Saiyan level four, yeah. Like, <laughs> and also, he would so he'll beat Freezer, would he? Like, we're not on Freezer yet. We're on fucking season one. He's the shit, Vegeta. And, 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 and also, barring some T one disaster this coming week, spoiler: uh, BLG is not going to be the top team after losing to IT. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> They'll tank him immediately. Right. LNG's not going to be top 10 anymore. Can tell you guys that way, 100%. See, please do this for me. Please do this for me. Because there is a world where T1 in the next few weeks might get to be number one. When they get number one, all I want is this. Please do either to either, either tell me what the comments were or screen, because I guarantee it will be like that classic one. If you remember back in the day when I would occasionally do historical content, like good content about TSM, like here's what they were good at or when they had a good run. And the joke was people who were TSM fans who used to say I was biased before would go, finally, good journalism. And they, they, were, just, they were so stupid and self-shamed. They would actually say that out loud. Like, finally, got me. you know, normally I think this guy's full of shit and doesn't know anything about the game, but I guess now he learned his lessons. Like, no, it just happened to write what you like this time, you dumb fuck. I want to see what they say when T1 becomes the one. They'll be like, finally, Monty came back to the fold. He understands Faker is the true way, the light, and the truth. Like, give me a break. Give me a break. Man. Give me a break. Uh... All right. So uh, with th- with that in mind, we are going to because we we're now talking about games we haven't seen. So let's not do that. Let's talk about games we did see this past week, which were over in the LCK. And this is a great time to mention that we have, in fact, an upcoming and very exciting telecom war. And we are back, guys, back with match of the week brought to you by Esports Bet. 
Uh, what this means? If you're is- a company out there, all I'm going to say, guys, is how has nobody who's like a mobile carrier thought of like sponsoring? We do this segment every. We do it like twice. We do it technically four times a year, boys. Just in the regular split, like it's right there on the table. So all I'm saying is hop in. There's so much we can do with this telecom war angle. Come on. Yes, exactly. You, don't you want to see a skit where Thorin has a rotary phone and does a whole thing? We call Monty. Like, brruh, brruh. like there'll be. We listen. It's there for you if you come and get it. AT and you sponsored yes. us once. AT&T, exactly. you sponsored us once. Feel free yes. to come back. This is your shout out. I used your fiber in LA. It was actually rad. I really enjoyed it. You were great. Yes. Um, so there's your free plug, AT&T. You're sponsoring LCS. You could sponsor Summoning Insight, something that people actually watch. All right. There we go. Yes. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so match of the week, guys, will be the Telecom War KT versus T1. And what this means for you is that our promo is back. And how you guys can enter this raffle, and this raffle will be $20 USDT to your account, and double that if you participate by betting $10 of any cryptocurrency, the the equivalent of 10 USDT. Um, If you bet that on the match of the week, you get entered to win up to 20 USDT or 40 if you put the bet. Now, if you want to enter for free... What you can do is you can head over to Competitive Edge, which is the show that Thorne and I do going over these matches every week and what we think are good value. We did very well this week, guys. I actually hit a three-way parlay on uh, on Power Spike <laughs> this week and won like three thousand over $3,000 from hitting this three-way LCK parlay. So we got some fun stuff for you. But if you go to Competitive Edge League of Legends and you comment on the YouTube video, you will be entered into that raffle for 20 USDT, and if you bet $10 on the Telecom War or more, you'll be entered to win up to 40 USDT. So all of this means plenty of opportunities to do the match of the week for you guys, and there's also the wonderful promo code that we have right now, which is if you pull up the site and you go over to the promotion tab on the left-hand side and you type in the promo code in the top right corner, uh, ESB or LFN, sorry, LFN777, the code is LFN777, then if you're a new user or you're an old user, uh, you can get up to $200 USDT uh, deposit bonus. So pretty good for you guys. Um, the key for- thing like Monty says on that one is usually the deposit bonus is just the normal ones that sites do it. It's the first deposit. These ones, the cool thing is if you're already a pre-existing customer, you could take advantage of this one and essentially get more value at your deposit too. Yep. And also, guys, uh, the match of the week. So you will also be, this is brand new. If you have not made an eSports bet account, if you make one using our referral code below, just make an account you will be entered into that raffle to win the money. So all you have to do is just make an account with our referral code. That's it. Um, so this is all great ways to participate. Thank you very much to Esports Bet uh, for doing that. Telecom War Odds, Thorin. <laughs> uh, let's talk about these. Do because it. this is 
they're they're spicy. Oh, I know this. As soon as you saw this, I know you were fucking loving it, mate. Because <laughs> if people don't know, remember, this is the genius of what's happening, guys. On the one hand, everyone who's a T1 fan slash Korean stat is telling Monty, just do what we do and pick T1. But then T1 has just slightly not good enough odds to really make it pick <laughs> yeah. them. Meanwhile, Monty knows with every fiber of his being, don't relapse, don't go back to that well again. I've moved on from it. I'm in a healthy, safe place now with a loving family. <laughs> I don't need, I can be a Gen G fan. I don't need to yeah, be a right. KT fan. But those odds just call to you like the siren <laughs> call, Monty, don't they? You can't avoid them. Because once they went over 3.4, you can't <laughs> avoid them. Monty, we have to bet on KT. I know, I know it's like some sort of fucked up suicide mission slash making a posse and going to one last job. But we have to bet on, we have I to cook Monty. I know, it's so, with KT. It, it's so horrible. We have to because... cook a cake, another raisin cake. <laughs> so, why? So right Why? now, right now the odds are one point three for T one and three point one for KT, which means guys, you can't responsibly bet on T one after KT after KT took out Gen G last week. Yep. Like we must be yes, compelled to put a flyer on KT. Do I think KT is going to win? Fuck no, I do not. Do I think that it's worth a flyer in case they do? Absolutely, I do. So yes. we'll be making those predictions over on uh, Competitive Edge, guys. Remember, again, either make a new account with our referral code, comment in the YouTube video with your, your username for eSports Bets to enter yes. the raffle, up to $20 USDT into your account if you win the raffle, or if you actually place a $10 or more wager on the Telecom War, you'll be entered into the raffle and you will earn double, so up to $40 USDT if you win. So there you go, guys. Um, it, it is outrageous, though. I mean, this is a great just jumping off point in general because KT legit has a chance. Like, I fucking hate this KT team, Thorin. I fucking hate them. They are everything. Essentially, Monty, what they've done is they themselves are the humanoid team of League of Legends. Because you know what I say with humanoid? What I do is this. I'm always out on him. And then the second I'm out, he has one game that's good. And I'm like, hey, maybe he's actually good. And then he fucking just runs it down immediately. Like, that's exactly what this team does. Like, the second you're like, I, I was almost out. And then they pull me back in. It's like that <laughs> shit. Like, now you have to give them a flicker of hope. Only a flicker. <laughs> Because I know what you mean. The problem with this team is it just fundamentally doesn't work. But it does still have some good players. So it's just a fucking mess, isn't it? Just a mess. Yeah. Um, it, it like I hate them because Thorin, why why am I cursed with KT? Because for the longest time, you know, KT, my favorite versions of KT, KTB. Uh, they just didn't win. What was the first KT team to win? Of course, KT Arrows, which I fucking hated because they were like the worst team to ever win yeah, an actual course. champions tournament. Hachani was a complete fraud. They were beating one of the Samsung teams, which looked much more stable. And what do they do? Yep. Of course, can't even make it to Worlds that, that year because they completely just flop and fall on their faces. Rookie just leaves Korea forever after that. So the best part Literally of that forever. team is just but gone. Wait, think how mad this is, guys. At least at that point, if Monty had pivoted to KT Arrows and they stay there. Monty would have actually been riding the only true rival to Faker on the other team. <laughs> the joke is for Monty's team, Faker stays forever in T1. Rookie goes, oh, am I about to become a generational talent? I'll just leave the region and go to China forever. <laughs> and then what? do nothing. He wins one world and is just trapped in garbage teams for the rest of his career. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, I mean, it is, it is torturous. And so then, you know, oh, oh, KT made the super team. Well, I guess they just lose to Rookie in uh, 
<laughs> in the yeah, year that... Monty, I actually think logically that should even be connected as a sub-narrative. Technically, Monty's uh, rookie's cursed career is just an inheritor of the KT curse, obviously. <laughs> because, mate, like you say, even when he won Worlds, the joke is that that would have worked. And then right after, they were supposed to win that MSI. They lost to fucking Team Liquid. Like, it's actually true. They have the most... Anyone who touches this org is... Cursed forever. Like, here's what I would actually like to do. Here's where I am actually evil, T1 fans. You've finally done it. you finally made me. I'm like Frankenstein's monster. I was trying to live with that blind guy and help him. But you fucked me again. And now I've just had to go fully evil and have one, have one, have one. So I'm going to have to go. After this segment, I'll put myself on a fucking ice shard and just drift off on fire, burning, immolating myself in this passionate rant. Because here's what I would say. The only way we could truly know A-B testing, if KT is a cursed dog, is we need to go back in time and we we need to convince them to get Faker instead of T1. And I want to see Faker play his whole career in KT Rolster. And I want to see what happens. Can he, like Flash, defy the curse? Or will he actually sub- succumb like every other mortal? That's so, what I want to know. So maybe maybe this is one of those, maybe this is one of those things like the, the Boston Red Sox where it's like, you know, they had Babe Ruth, but when they didn't have Babe Ruth anymore, the like they sure. got cursed. Okay, yes. so maybe they had Flash, and then now that Flash, you know, isn't on KT right. anymore. So they have okay. the, the, maybe, they, they have maybe the greatest esports player of all time in Flash. Yeah. Like, we can have that debate. He's certainly in the conversation. Sure. And then... Now that now that Flash is no longer playing StarCraft for them, that's that's where it starts to go downhill. Well, seems <laughs> Just like can't, it. can't yeah. win after that. Um, but w- the reason why I hate this team, guys, is because I I hate the narrative of like the DRX getting back together because DRX is like giga fraudulent, right? And. You know, Thorin, what I hate most about this is why couldn't they just actually get DRX to get back together? Why couldn't, if they're going to get DRX together, can we please trade BDD for Zeka? Can we get BDD onto Hanwha Life for the love of God? He doesn't want to remake DRX because DRX won Worlds. He wants it as like a prison that they're all consigned to. So they can't like escape and fuck up all the other teams. Dude, they deserve each other. It's, It's I I just want like the Chernobyl reactor. Can I have everyone except death? Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Chernobyl was a very fine work power plant for a number of years but once it exploded you need to actually entomb it in just tons of concrete to keep it there that's what i okay. need katie or whatever team wants to reunite the rx that's what i need it to do right now and the fact that kingen and that kingen and and zeka are still out there being terrorists on know. other teams is just unacceptable so why can't we get deft out can we get deft out and then can we just put all of the rest of them into KT, please? So, I mean, what I'm th- going to say is this, Monty. They had five players who only a year and a bit ago were the world champions of League of Legends. Spoiler, none of them are in the top two teams of the LCK right now. Not a single one of those players <laughs> who's in one of the top teams. Like, I'm not saying what that might imply, but... It does imply some, doesn't it? I'm just saying, you know. So, saying. What, what people will point out. The Exodus was it? And fucking, you know, they, they didn't really go and win championships. I, I just, th- this team just tilts me so much because honestly, Thorin, the, the series that they played against Gen G was a fucking terrible series. Those were terrible games by Gen G and by KT. That was some fucking trash ass League of Legends, guys. Like Gen G played appallingly badly, KT played appallingly badly. You'll look at those games and be like, wow, Pioshik had some great games. He did, guys. Pioshik is playing wonderfully right now. That's not why I hate Pioshik. 
I hate Pioshik because he turns back into a pumpkin every single time. There has not been a time in his career where he hasn't turned back into a pumpkin. Well, he, you, he himself is a razor kick. He's just yes, a jungle he, razor kick. That's he's, true. He's like the ultimate Every time you think he's legit, kick. he's going to betray you completely so badly. <laughs> yeah, I so you guys are all like, wow, look how good Pioshik is. Here's why you think that. Here are the games that you watched, fans. Here are the games you watched. Yes. You watched 2022 Worlds. You watched him play at 2023 Worlds and almost beat T1 with that amazingly sin game. And now yep. you're watching KT pull off these upsets and him being really good. You did not see the years where he was fucking terrible. You didn't watch the season of 2022 where he was garbage for most of the time on DRX. Like, they literally had but to sub stuff for you. Juhan I was gonna in. Say that. They yes. had to sub Juhan Dude, in because it was so it fucking bad. Was a, there was a title on Reddit that was like, Juhan, World Championship Jungler comments. And all the people were going in the comments saying, World Champion. It's like, yeah, you forgot that pure shit during his Worlds one was getting subbed out, guys, for the fucking Juhan guy. They, for they real. literally had to sub yes. in Juhan to get to Worlds. Yes. Like, you guys didn't watch this you're shit. Right, you played the professional. Yes, you're right. He was. He was a whole bunch of games. Yes, you're right. <laughs> when they were beating Love Sandbox. Yeah, true. True. You know, it was a team that was not supposed to be at the World Championship. Pioshek was such a dumpster fire that they were subbing him out. Guys, Beryl looks good now. But for every Alistair game against T1 that Beryl actually pops off on, he's had some good games. I do want to give him that. During the Gen G game, he almost just inted game two by himself. He magically lived from doing some really dumb overextending on Nautilus in the mid lane. If he dies right there, Gen G maybe gets Baron and then they win the game. Like instead, KT gets Baron because he walks too far forward and then he manages to dodge a Jarvan ult by using Nautilus hook, which looked like a fucking giga janky interaction that shouldn't have even happened. So like... Like, in what universe are we praising this team? They they are not even playing very good League of Legends, right? I, and I we are going to bet on them versus T1, by the way. So. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about that. By the way, just for comedy them. purposes, I'll very briefly tell people. Obviously, people saw, I think it was the fucking, uh, it was that Nongshim game. You know where he played Ramus for a game? Monty? Yes, oh my I don't God. know if you saw this. The headline on Reddit was fucking amazing. Because listen to what the headline was. Okay. The headline was... Um, Pioship, this is apparently Death said this. Pioship kept appealing during scrims that he learned Ramus while he was in NA and he always wins when he plays it. So we thought we'd play it and we had the chance and today was that day. So like, bro, this guy, he's the only elite Korean who's learning shit from NA and taking it back home. Like, this is so wild. He's, he's being taught the dark arts, man. I know. I know. What's, he doing? What's he doing? Like the joke is, are we going to send Death over there? He comes back doing tactics. Practical fucking Tristana jumps into into the team fights. Is what we doing at this well, point. in NA? I learned this is the best engage. And, and also, like this was this was really the first series that we had seen uh, Gen G kind of differentiate from the script that they had been playing for a yes. lot of the season, which is yes. that we typically see Canyon on tank on tanks on engage tanks, right? And he wasn't playing Rel. He wasn't playing Sejuani. He wasn't playing Maokai in this series. He was playing like skirmishers like Jarvan and Jin Zhao. And like, sure, should Gen G be a good enough team to adapt to this and play around that? Yes, they're all super veteran players, but they didn't play well. 
around that in this series. They played an absolute trash game. And later that week, they played, they came up against Hanwha. They completely dumpstered Hanwha in the two, in the two O that they got. And guess what? Kenyon's on Lee Sin, Kenyon's on Rel. These are engaged, like big time engaged champions again. And they cleaned up a lot of their play. Like Keen had a bad day also. Like Keen kind of had a bad day against KT. I, I'm not sure how prepared they were for KT. Um, but anyway, like, yes, it was a huge upset. K Pioshik played super well. Like Pioshik is playing super well right now, but I'm just saying I've seen this before. And so I'm waiting for. I, I'm just waiting for for this to their performance to drop off because I just don't think it's sustainable with some of the other teams that they have in the league. And like you said, you were if you actually even though on paper it looks like oh my god they beat Gen G essentially who or some of us probably if you're a Korean the joke is that would be the number one team not T1 you fucking idiots but okay let's put that to one side you're supposed to get hyped but as you say if you watch the match it just bombs you up for both teams mate it's like fuck I can't even get hyped off this. <laughs> So it's it was, fraudulent. It's it was fraudulent. It was it was really a sloppy. It was really a sloppy series. Like it's not good League of Legends. What you're watching in this basically series. is the meme guys. You know the meme from that Joker movie that everyone loved. Where obviously spoiler, there's that big shocking twist at the end when he goes on that talk show and Robert De Niro is playing like the talk show host and obviously he like shoots him right. And if you don't remember that iconic line where he says something, like, sure, I'm just gonna do this or whatever. And then that guy, the Joker, says to him, "You get what you fucking deserve." Like basically, do a meme where. Monty is the De Niro character and so he's like so I'm just gonna fucking bet on KT when they've done one good game and it excited me and that's like yes you get what you fucking deserve Monty that's just Pioshik's face like yeah you get what you deserve Monty you get what you fucking deserve if you bet on but in this case to bring it all back we are indeed going to bet on them. Like, I'm, here's the thing, Monty. Those odds alone, I don't care. What I've learned is it's made me like a, it's made me like some sort of cold, cynical economist or something. The numbers, Monty. The numbers trump everything. The numbers that high, it must be good. There we go. I find that finally become why it's, 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 it's worth it's worth a flyer. That's the thing. It's like you it don't, is, you don't have to it. you don't you don't have to oh, like by it. The way, the fact that KT is so trash will make it even more satisfying if we hit the bet. Like, if we actually hit it, it'll be too glorious, won't it? It'll be too fucking good, mate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, T1, T1 continues to roll. Uh, their early game has been extraordinarily strong. Like, they are such a good team when it comes to snowballing advantages. Um, the... the I think they are they are the number one team right now. I don't rank, you know, what, another reason why I put T1 over Gen G is I don't rank week one performances super highly just because we're coming oh. into, I mean, it's like oh, the it's first games yeah, on, the, on the new meta yes. in particular, like entirely new map, you know, yes. entirely new itemization, um, people coming off of breaks and teams like T1 that played literally to the very end, the bitter end of the world championship probably took a longer break off just because they played basically almost every match it was possible to play during the course of the year. And, you know, they, they, they're running it back with the same team. So you can be confident they're going to pick it up and it's a long season. So not too big of a deal for them to win or to lose versus Gen G in the first week of competition. Um, I'd be, I'd be more concerned about, you know, Hanwha or D plus at this point in time, because they, they are struggling. I'm just going to say it now. I've actually, I don't, I, before I kept saying as like a general abstract narrative, like I think it would be cool if Scout went back to Korea. You know what? I've got the solution right now. Listen, get me the fucking right numbers. I'll be the media. I'll make the deal happen. Scout to Hanwha Life. You know what? 
LNG, you can have Zika. You can have him, mate. You can take him, tell him to click a Carly if he can do whatever the fuck you want. Scout, I need to airlift you out, mate. This has gone badly. Tarzan's gone. This ain't working for you. That was the last, like, sane fucking, that was civilization. Tarzan, fucking whatever, Lord, whatever he's called. We need to get you back to civilization now, Scout. Come back to Korea. Come back to Anwar Life. Anwar Life will be good with you. You can play the mage that'll make the team work. Let Viper carry you like he did in EDG to work. Nah, actually, also, to be fair, that world Viper was a bit crap, but whatever. I, I'm totally down with the the peanut, uh, the peanut scout jungle mid. That'd be dope. That'd be, be awesome. awesome. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Make it um, happen. Call me. Because <laughs> I, I, Hanwa, despite what people say, and yes, guys, they did play game one macro versus Gen G like super badly. They were literally like, gr they, it was everything that you would not expect from a a peanut shot called team that they were trading down on cross map resources, which is very very unlike. Uh, you know, peanut shot calling where they would overload one side of the map for kills and then lose those like two towers on the opposite side of the map. You almost never see that. So people will point at that and say, oh, Hanwa's macro, not good. Hanwa's macro has been very good throughout most of the split. That, you know, the Gen G series aside, um, that hasn't been their problem. Like their their mid and late game macro hasn't been the problem. The problem if anything, oftentimes... Actually, this proves what you always said, which was that Peanut was, even though the irony of being called Peanut, Peanut was the brain of fucking Gen G. I mean, I, I know that because I, you know, I, I get told by Arnold from Gen G. I literally just ask him questions like, who's shot calling? And he just tells me. Yes. And he, you know, it's not that, it's not that hard, guys. <laughs> you know, so I, I have a pretty good idea of what their internal, internal comms are and it's not crazy to put that out there because it just helps describe what the team style is and they were very successful like that and i do think that peanuts shock calling sets a very high floor on any team that he's a part of yes. because he is so fucking good at it he you could make an argument like maybe faker is better than him at this point in time but faker also has extremely talented teammates and zayas oh, might be the best player in the world right now be, that's yeah. on, on an individual level and he certainly has the best support player in the world in Caria, who can dominate with I mean, he's fucking playing support ezreal now you know what i mean he's like, doing it again guys i know yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's just, getting the dark he, tech again <laughs> i don't think support ezreal is good but i it do isn't. think that he can play it and that's what's you know that's by what's the important. way and i an added, unexpected, like, additional value you get out of Haring Carrier is he simultaneously fucks up the enemy's draft by playing shit that doesn't even work. And then some other idiot in another game will fucking try and pick that. So they also fuck up their other draft yeah. later on because they're like, I could be Carrier. It's like, you aren't Carrier, bro. And he, he, he barely made this work, so please don't try this. Please don't do this pick. Again, as we always say, Monty, Sandy, they don't know the, the Overwatch reference. No, we are not pocketing you. You are not Jordak. If you know the <laughs> reference from Oversight from back in the day, the one person watching, welcome. That was your reference for you. For the rest of you, don't worry about it. What is a Jordak? Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. No one needs to know anymore. You know, you know sadly, uh, Prophet retired from Overwatch today. Oh, that's a shame. And Because he's probably you know, the best Overwatch player in the history of the game. So I would have hoped someone like him would do like Sabio be or, or not um fucking Sire play. Go to Valorant, mate. You would be sick yes. of Valorant, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It'd be amazing. I mean maybe he will. Maybe he will. But it, you know it's it that's just kind of sad news that, that I yeah, yeah. that I thought. No, by yeah, the way, for me, I didn't watch, I don't claim to watch the whole history of the game. For me he was the GOAT. He was the best yeah. player I saw in that game. He was mega one he yep. Huge. Hugely talented. Um Anyway, so Caria, like he has, you know, Faker has a lot of tools to work with that are really unique. 
Um, but Faker's shot calling, obviously among the best in the world. We know that because we saw what happened when he left, <laughs> which is one of the things that I, I, I'm not happy Faker got injured, guys. But I am happy to see what happened when Faker got injured, which is that we realized exactly what Faker was doing in this team, which is 1000 percent going to help Faker's career narrative in the long run. So never want to see him get injured, but we did learn a lot in that process, particularly about the the macro and just seeing how much that informs our opinions about the excellence of Faker as a, as a leader within that team is great. And Peanut has had wonderful players to work with, and yes, he has choked at international competitions, both individually and in terms of his shot calling, um, but at least domestically, he's an extremely consistent performer and is undoubtedly one of the most valuable pieces that you could have on an LCK team. So, also, I would actually speculate that Porby must have done some really fucked up, like Adam level shit within T1 because they're so angry with him. They didn't just demote him; they made him play with fucking reckless. That was like <laughs> your punishment must be more severe. He like, can't even speak our language. Shebal, shebal. I bet Vekas his first week he just went. He was like, "What is? What does the word shebal mean? Like, keeps it. is it some sort of? A, is it like rotate or something? Like I'm going in? Like, what does shebal? What why, why does why does everyone keep calling me Seki? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's Recky, it's not Seki. I'm Recky. Yeah, oh, you almost got it. Yeah, they've got this cute little nickname. Call me Seki. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. <laughs> By the way, spoiler. Notice how everyone told me we're all going to be watching LCK challenges. One, none of you watch it, and two, T1 second from bottom. By the way, so yeah, I like that train. But don't worry, guys. Hey, remember, maybe they'll put fit, maybe they'll put Reckless in at Worlds, and then maybe he'll get a World skin, and then maybe after that, Dad will come home, and then maybe actually I'll pass those grades, and maybe I'll actually get into that program after school that I wanted to be in. That girl will kiss me finally at the disco. Please, can I do it? Can I get it all back, Reckless? Please, just live your lives, guys. He's, listen, he's not playing competitive. He's just in some shit a thing that you don't care about so just move on just find a different player to watch i did it i in fact if you know what i've even done it the right way monty shall give people a guide as to how you do it the spoiler is you know this monty you do you have to understand esports is the game crusader kings you can't always have the one dope character you like so what i do monty is i live through their offspring so are you ready i'm about to blow people's minds notice how monty the players i was obsessed with think about this was players like Froggen. God, control mage player is a little bit more aggressive than people give him credit for, but plays kind of a d defensive style. Then I liked a really aggressive AD carry called Forgiven, who just wanted to win constantly, <laughs> have all the resources loaded into him, and didn't necessarily care what other people thought of it, as long as he got the resources. And then I liked this weak side top laner called Soaz, who, even though he was weak side, could play the odd carry and was way more valuable than people realised. Nowadays, I'm just a fan of, you know, let's go in order, guys. Larson, upset, and, and Odoamne, so no biggie or on that. It's, I've done the same fucking thing you idiots your problem is you actually stick with the player from 10 years ago i've upgraded and that last is actually really good upset sometimes is good and odd one is good when he's allowed to play on a good team so there you go i've sorted that one out yeah it's pretty quick it was diminishing returns but it's all good you just right, gotta find the next player that's like yours essentially monty like crusader kings these are just the children of the lineage of frog and soaz and fucking forgiven there you go my, my, my crusader kings <laughs> reference would be that uh, you know, I only like the characters who get really super powerful and then right at the apex of their powers, they just randomly die of a disease. Like right when you're in that really crucial war, that's like the turning point of your game. That's when your character dies and just 
your your kingdom either just fractures between a bunch of kids or just gets you know handed to your kid with like developmental defects and then you can't actually do anything at that point in time cuz i like like keen i like peanut these are the guys who are just completely fucking crushing it within lck go yes. to international tournament immediately immediately what's mad is you've actually lived your real life like crusader kings because what you've done is you've actually crafted your offspring as if you are going to get to become them next because <laughs> what monty's done is he's managed to have children who are a hybrid between the two regions he's been obsessed with north america and korea and he's had a child where he was just he was more fluent in Korean. So he's just having a kid that can speak Korean from like day one. And eventually, except the problem here, Monty, is, is this isn't Crusader Kings. You just dive it and go off. Like, you don't actually get to take over their life and pilot them afterwards, you know? Oh, shit. Now you're telling me. <laughs> you've, even named, you've even, I'll just say this straight up because I believe it's true. You've even low-key sort of named them what you wish you were named instead of just like Christopher's a bit plain, you know? You've named them dope names that you wish were your alias, you know? Oh, Obviously. <laughs> I don't think that's a secret. I just, I would freely way, I admit that. Know. Listen, store this in a time capsule because if your kids ever grow up and decide even for fun to play esports games, please understand this, guys. Right? So I'll give you a random detail. I don't know if you know this, but Rops in Counter-Strike, his actual name is Robin Cool. But then he called himself Rops. It's like, bro, cool is right there. So if you actually have a sick name, like, spoiler, Orion and Maximus, just call yourself that in the game. It's all the adorable aliens. Don't pick, like, fucking Apple or something. Call yourself a Maximus and Orion. That's already a bold fucking yeah. esports name, and it's your real name. Don't Maximus wait. is literally just Latin for the greatest. How can you go wrong? There you go. There you go. How can you go wrong? Uh, all right. Uh, other other LCK business you want to touch on here? Guangdong, legitimately a good team, I think. Besides when they troll with Garen in the top side and do CV Max things, this actually makes me think for real, bro. CV Max, I think he only needs like one more good player. He could really do something with this fucking team. Like, do if you look at the a- roster. Like- they're already killing it, like min-maxing. No, but I mean, if they actually want to really challenge and go, like, you know, come third or something, you know, like, it's probably a touch and go if they can even do that now. Like, but what he's done with the roster he's got is incredible. It's actually insane, isn't it? Look, the roster... So, first off, Cuz is, like, on MVP. He's definitely in the conversation for league MVP. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I brought this up, too, on, uh, on the Monty and Wolf show, and we, you know, Wolf and I have an extensive com- conversation about... Um, Kwangdong in general, but I think you'll appreciate this analogy that I made on there, which is that the way that Kwangdong is being run by CV Max is extremely similar to how Peter Dunn ran Evil Geniuses when they started playing Danny. And oh, I see what you mean already. Yep. So it's what be I mean integrating the newer players, yeah. So what I mean by that is that in that iteration of EG, you know, the inspired like jungle heavy, you know, veteran veteran heavy one. And Peter, by the way, you know, he confirmed this when we talked to him on on our shows, which is that they intentionally were like not putting a lot of resources into Danny and like limiting his kind of roles on the team. First off, so that him making mistakes had less of an effect on the game state, but also just because you don't want to put like too much pressure on the new player, which is why, you know, I said a lot of the time, like his purpose is to play Tristana and like either be a janitor or like split push. And like his job is to auto attack turrets. His job is not to be like an actually good AD carry, which was, he became a much better player over time. But when he started, he, 
his role was very limited within the team. And you'll look at Bull and you say, okay, well, Bull has all of these different champions that he's been using. He hasn't been limited in terms of that uh, particular aspect. But what's really important to note <clears throat> about the way that Guangdong plays is that if you actually look at resource allocation on this team, Bull, because you, you think of him as an aggressive player, right? And he's actually doing a pretty good job of coming out with favorable lanes. Like he's kind of middle of the pack, but positive in terms of like gold differential at 10 and XB differential at 10. Um, you know, he's he's up there in the first blood rankings for for 80 carries for first blood participation. But the really key thing here is that he is actually the lowest player in the entire league when it comes to CS taken after 15 minutes. So as Holy a percentage, shit. so obviously unusual for 80 carries, you know, to have a low CS taken. So the top player in the league, by the way, for 80 carry is aiming. He takes 31.3% of his team CS. After 15 minutes, Bull takes 21.5%. He takes 10% of the total team CS less than aiming. That is a titanic difference. Even Deft, who takes the second lowest, is still almost 4% higher than Bull. So the, the gulf between Deft and Bull is almost the same or is it, it, between Deft and aiming, who's at the very top. So... Think about that, guys. He takes almost no CS after 15 minutes. He also does the lowest percentage of damage after 15 minutes. So Teddy is the top with his team. Not always a good sign in that case, like in Teddy's oh, case, sure. because he's the only player on his team who's good, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Pace, Pace, however, is second on that list. Aiming is fourth. So Bull is both low damage overall and very low economy, which obviously, which obviously you have to ask the question, who is getting the money on this team and who is doing the damage? Part of this is Dudu and Cuz are getting a lot more money than most top laners and junglers are. But also because of the champions that Bulldog plays in the mid lane, he is doing a crazy amount of the team's damage. Um, Bulldog is actually third or he's second in the league in terms of damage percentage after 15 minutes. And the only person ahead of him is Fiesta, who played one game. So the only player, every other player who's played, you know, 18 games or so, 17 games, Bulldog is top. So he's actually, as far as mid laners go, doing the highest percentage of damage on his team. And he's actually been very efficient because he's the fourth lowest in terms of resources taken after 15 minutes. Faker obviously is number one. Faker's famously in the last few years been very low economy. But it also, you have to look at the champions they play. Well, Bulldog's been playing Huey, Corky, Azir. So very high damage late game poke champions for the most part. But Africa have done an excellent job of kind of empowering Bulldog. Now, Bulldog looks dumb sometimes because he overextends and dies. But really, he's been a very efficient mid laner. And they found a strategy that works for them without putting a lot of carry potential onto Bull. It's it's been on Bulldog playing poke, but mostly guys, it's been on Doodoo and it's been on Cuz. And Doodoo was always a good top laner. We talked about this last year. Doodoo super underrated. Super yeah. underrated. He is now taking the most resources of any top laner after 15, and he's doing the third most damage behind Doran and, and Zeus, right? So he's been really good. And so has Cuz. And this is where this team's damage is actually coming from. So the point is, is that Bull is a rookie. 
it doesn't matter so much if he dies because he's not taking a bunch of the gold and potential damage with him. So the expectations could be kind of set around that. Has Bull been amazing? No, but he's like winning his lanes for the most part. And then he doesn't get any resources. So the people who are carrying this team are the ones where the resources are being put into. And for the most part, they are either playing poke champions from the back line in Bulldog's case, even though he's it's only his second year, or it's the veterans of Cousin Dudu that are doing great. And Bull honestly looks very good when you actually look at his play. He just, the team itself is not putting those resources in yet, which is why I say they're a lot like EG. Here's so the thing, I, Monty. I, I will follow up your very shrewd and well-balanced and articulated, eloquent <laughs> description of how they play in resources with a completely nonsense metaphorical thing, you. which isn't at all serious. <laughs> and I'll just prep people now because take it too seriously. So basically, here's how you know that CV Max is a fucking gangster. Because his team is so fucking hood down to the aesthetic. So think about this, guys. First of all, you've got Doodoo in the top lane, or Do-Rag Do-Rag, as I call him. <laughs> then you've got Cos. What up, Cos? They've got Cos there. Young J, that even sounds like someone who has a mixtape. What, what's going to be around in the hood? A load of fucking bulldogs. I'll tell you that right now. And I'll tell you what, they're going to have them on a leash if they know what's good for them. And then you're going to think, what can I possibly do with Andil? Because Andal pay you on the 1st and 15th. And then finally, what's the name of the team? Freaks. So, of course, they're kind of a bit wacky and they're fucking with everyone. <laughs> Very nice. Not bad. Like I said, there was no actual analysis in there. It was just a bunch of garbage about being orders. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look. The, the one factor of this team is like quantum. CD Max's Nipsey Hustle. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, quantum, quantum like came in because I guess Andal had some... Yes. Problems where he couldn't play. Um, yeah. Quantum was fine. Andal has been playing super well. I hope he that comes back soon. Uh, Qu but Quantum was good. And like, I really like where Kwangdong is going. Lots of questions like, is this team going to do well when Bulldog has to play different kinds of champions where he can't just sit in the back line and do a gazillion damage from a screen away? Like, I don't know. Um, is this team going to be good when they don't get a bunch of super powerful picks that are frequently banned away from other teams? Like, why are they getting Corky so much? Why are they getting Cassante so much? <laughs> you know, I have questions. Because <laughs> uh, KT, for example, thought that they could just, like, drop eight bans on 80 carries and and kill Bull and, in his first match. And that didn't fucking work. So, basically, what happened is the rest of this team got crazy good picks. Um, so, I think I think maybe... There is a kind of ceiling for this team as long as they don't have a super powerful mid laner, but maybe Bulldog becomes that guy. He's certainly a lot better than he was last year. He's he's evolving, and they certainly have very good mid or top lane and jungle right now, and the rookie bot lane's looking promising. So you have to think that maybe this team is, by next year, possibly highly competitive with the players that they have. With enough now, you also see why that story makes sense of them like scrim and T one. Like it makes there's a logic yep. to like why the why was some value there? There was some more than we saw in the players. Like they weren't the team we thought they were. Yeah, especially so, with the addition of Cuz, it's, it's a game changer, right? And we didn't expect Cuz to continue to be this good. Like it was surprising he was good for as long as he was on KT last year, and he, in my mind, is definitely in the MVP conversation this year for how hard he is carrying this team. So I think they're great. I really like this team. I like the dynamic. It seems like they're easing Bull into it. And I'll, I'll be interested to see how they perform in future metas where they may be more reliant on Bulldog 
playing more difficult to execute champions in the mid and late game. But they have been like surprisingly good in terms of mid and late game play. Bulls Bulldogs laning is garbage though. <laughs> that's that's the downside. Oh, that's, why I actually like the, that's why I actually like that analogy about uh, Danny. Because, yeah, that's the point. What people never understood, it's actually why it's a shame Danny couldn't continue. He's one of the weirdest, most idiosyncratic bot laners I've ever seen. Because famously, the thing was, he was a bit weird in lane. But if you got him to a team fight, he was like insanely good. So that as a result, Peter Dunn's smart enough to know. Then let's just basically like fucking sort of have a, a protection for this motherfucker through the laning phase don't put any pressure on him but then let him carry in the team fight with his team fight champion yeah it was dope so I, I know what you mean this actually shows the coaching staff's doing it not just the player himself yeah so, actually, I mean, like I, you're saying, I hope people get the implication. If you were doing as well as this guy is, you just demand all the farm in the late game, but he's not, they're clearly not doing that as the resource approach. Yeah. It, it, it's like it, it has to be super deliberate in the way they're assigning lanes and assigning CS in the mid and late game, Thorin, because this guy is just, he's so low economy. Like, it, it's actually crazy how few resources he is taking relative to relative to other players. And a lot of that is instead going to Kaz, who's like the highest economy jungler in the entire fucking league. You know, it's him and Pioshek who are right at the top and then owner, which is, and then Willer. I mean, none of these are surprises as to why they would be that far up. But yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, now, part of this too would be dependent on which teams are playing fasting Senna. <laughs> Clearly, uh, because then the support player gets kind of a much larger share of of resources. Um, so that's something to consider when you look at these stats as well. But the thing about Bull is he's played he's played three games of Senna, but, you know, he's played a bunch of other champions, too. So that affects it for sure. The, the fasting Senna thing affects it. Can you believe we live in a world where D plus is three and five? Why? Why? It's just suffering. It's just suffering, mate. Why? Is the, why? When does it end? When does the suffering end? Ever? I mean, does it end ever? No. <laughs> it's not looking good, is it? I know. <laughs> uh, look, it, it, oh, this Lord. this team is really scuffed, Thor, and they they're just never going to have shot calling with this roster. They didn't bring in a shot caller. Like it'll take time for yep. Lucid to be able to do that if he ever does it. Lucid looks really good for a rookie, but yeah, yeah. Showmaker's had some good games. However, like Aiming and Kellen are just, they're just terrible. <laughs> the problem is I get the sense Aiming is one of those players where like, look, I know this is something people put on ADCs a lot, but ADCs can be a bit brainless. He needs someone also to hold his hand and set the team up around him, mate. Like on his own, he's going to make some weird decisions at times, you know. I mean, he, he but even on, even, even on KT, the thing about aiming is that he is super high resource. That's who he is yeah, as a player. Of he he oh, a always, massive gamble. Yeah, of course. I mean, always when we saw this guy on KT, he was always like the most CS is given to him. Yes. And yes. he still demands that, but he hasn't been carrying the game to that degree that he used to be able to do on champions like Zeri, right? I mean, we, we see him picking Zeri now. Uh, that That's where we're at with this guy. Uh, I mean, he's picking Kog'Maw and then inting away a game. But it's also like, dude, the Pike pick was just so fucking terrible. Like, you really? You're going to play Pike into double Halo Blades AD carry against the best double Halo Blades AD carry team in the world. Like, I understand what you think you're going to do in theory, 
but you're never going to do that thing. You are never. And also, by the way, Thor, this was Kellen's third professional game on Pike ever. He's not even a Pike player, so it makes even less sense. And then he just wanders around the map, never hitting level six. As someone who not only loves that champion, but I also love it when it's used effectively in pro play. There are like, dude, that should only ever at any time be a conditional pick, as you're saying. You, it's never something that you can just force someone on. And especially if you have a look, you better be one of the absolute best pike players in the world if you pick that in competitive. Because this is the problem, Monty. Everyone just sees in their mind a bunch of images flash when they think of Pike, of him like jumping around, killing everyone. You don't get to, as Monty's saying, in these lanes, you're never going to get to that point. In the, that part of the game will never become, never be unlocked for you. You well, will always just be a shitty lane spot who can't do anything. You can just get tanking aggro all laid long it's gonna be shit for you it's gonna be an absolute nightmare seriously well well especially when you can't even be in lane so you're wandering around never hitting six thor and like you can't actually yep. chain ult exactly. if you never get ult which he basically yep. didn't get in that game um because he was just getting they were getting their shit pushed in bot lane 24 7 it's just the audacity to like first off the audacity to give t1 ash like never that's never allowed that is never fucking allowed like Caria is not allowed to play Ash. That is how the game of League of Legends works. This is why everybody bans Ash. This is why, you know, you you just can't do it. You can't fucking do well, it. Joke, we fucked it up. The obvious joke is, I guess D plus is also their grade as well as their team name. <laughs> yes, I would give this line by D plus. Uh, it's, you know, it's it, been... it almost passes, but not quite. Almost. <laughs> what they needed to be was C minus, then they'd have passed. But they, they exactly. Plus, so exactly. They, I mean, why they named themselves this is also perfect. Just it's actually perfect, so, isn't it? I know. So fucking. By confusing. the way, am I the only one who's missing this? The original name was Dope. Damn one is a pretty cool name. Yeah. Then I when it was know, like. Man. DWG, DWG Kia, D plus, D plus. Like, fuck, <laughs> fucking hell, please. What are you doing? What are we doing right now? That was Damn one is an awesome name, by the way. That's a fucking sick name. I don't, I don't know why we changed it. <laughs> Their their new logo also sucks. <laughs> yeah, but luckily they're in a league with Fear X, where it just looks like some sort of like. First of all, the Fear X one reminds me of the old Mouse Sports CS logo, if you remember, with the mouse with the ear at the back. And then also, it just looks like that stupid fucking Pokemon, where it's like a fucking fox or whatever it is, like Eevee. Is it actually Eevee? I'm thinking of whatever. It just looks like a shitty Pokemon, yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? And then for some reason, Ryu is just the one coaching that team. Like, oh, he's a, he's back. He's alive. Ryu's here. <laughs> Well, Speaking of curses, he now. Oh, here's the thing, Monty. Oh, what's Faker doing like 10 years, 10 plus years after the ZV uh, 1v1? Oh, yeah, he's just winning world still. Uh, still plays for T1. How's Ryu doing? I oh, caught his uh, Fear X. Please, please. Like, now, what a cursed career. What a cursed career, bro. Cursed. <laughs> what an evil career that guy had. <laughs> um, Yeah, so I don't know. I think that, that wraps up most of the compelling lck discussion of this last week oh, the last thing i'll say the one last joke i have for you is this which is on fear x i do though you know i love when they have weird names as their aliases what i actually fucking love is the name of the other coach on on fear x because go to gamepedia now and look up the name of the assistant <laughs> coach it's literally arnold schwarzenegger saying the word duty <laughs> you're gonna do your duty duty you got to do your duty that is the name of the Fucking, what in name is that? I so so fucking good. I love it. I actually fucking love it. I have no idea actually who this who this guy is. Who knows uh, who he is? Just some balkany. I haven't seen him. Does he have any I, history doing anything? I guess he Fork was on Live Sandbox's uh, yeah. secondary team up until this year, so he's in the Live Sandbox like challengers and youth 
uh, and he was in Academy, and yeah, he's just been on Sandbox since 2019 in their uh, amateur program, looks like. Interesting. Okay. So. Now, I mean, I hated the name Live Sandbox, but somehow Fear X is even worse. Somehow Fear X is even worse. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I love it. All right, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll hit you with some viewer questions. See you in a couple. Right, we're back for the viewer questions segment. Obviously, we do not literally source these from people watching after the show or live on Twitch or YouTube. By the way, if you don't know, you can also watch this live on YouTube each week. It's streamed there as well. So if you're a YouTube fan, go there. Obviously, I mean, to be fair, I would say the rewind feature, but technically you can also go on the YouTube, the Twitch VOD and just watch it now if you wanted to catch yep. 20 minutes ago also. Basically, we actually take these from people who support us directly financially. So the way you do that is you pay for a Discord subscription. It's actually one of the ones that gives the highest ad rev cut, uh, not ad rev, uh, revenue cut to the the creator so yeah, that's like why we're using this one particularly to get the questions and so yeah this is how we're going to source them all from our discord server subscribe there if you want to ask a question yep uh okay with that in mind uh let's go our, our architect of korean esports based joe marsh you're back uh in your opinion what is the biggest flaw in the philosophy of marks <laughs> Well, here's the thing I would say right at the outside. I don't know about you, Monty, but one of the biggest problems with the every discussion that involves Karl Marx is, I'll just say it right now, I've barely read any of Karl Marx's books. Notice no one else says that at the outset, Monty. Everyone acts like he wrote like a fucking one-paragraph pamphlet and we've all read it. Like, the real joke is this, guys. If you don't know, like, the Communist Manifesto, for the people short. I know who are knowledgeable, they say it's not even one of his best works. They it's say it's like one small. of his... Yeah, it's a very simple, flimsy thing, whereas the joke is it's things like Das Kapital that people are really into. And that's you. And his actual... <laughs> and his thoughts about actual economics, etc. So I don't, I don't know anything about any of that. So all I would say is this. I can only, as a result, talk to things like real-world applications of ideas like communism yeah. and socialism. And I would essentially she said the main flaw is just this which because which is what i think is the is the physical manifestation of this philosophy which is it can sound like a brilliant utopian fantasy that we should essentially share with each person and give them what they need and help everyone and help the bottom of society the problem i would say is this i think the way it tends to be actually manifested is either you get the nightmare like you have in america where it's like you do socialism but it's the other way around it's for the rich people and then the poor people get the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but the rich guy yeah. in the bank, he gets to get bailed out over and over and over again and never is allowed to fail. Or you do the whole communist system, which tends to just be, let's use the resentment of the lowest class to kill everyone we don't like. And then I'm just a king, but I'm called like the fucking, you know, leader of the party <laughs> yeah. or the secretary. You, so you just... the real problem, as far as I can tell, is the real world manifestations have almost nothing to do with the philosophy. And it's one of those areas where an idea isn't necessarily the same as a tangible physical thing to me. So, I'll just say, I don't, I don't fuck all about Marx. I don't know, yeah. except a little bit about his biography. So, that's about it. I've read the Communist Manifesto and I've read sections of Das Kapital, but I'm not going to pretend to be a Marx expert who's read everything. So to Thorne's point about actual practical application, the problem is that when you just take elites and then you replace them with a different set of elites that just espouse a different a different philosophy but in actual in actuality you're not getting rid of elites and you're not getting rid of centralized yes. power and in fact you're creating very insidious systems of authoritarianism that then require you to i mean and, and communism is is very explicit about being atheistic and so you replace yes. religion with 
communism as the religion. And then just like in highly dogmatic religion, anybody going against the the orthodoxy or the group thing is then yes. put into a fucking gulag or killed. So the, the practical applications of it, I do think that communism can work in like a Star Trek sense in like a post need society when you live in a society where everybody has the ability to kind of actualize as a person because they're not worried about food or shelter or their basic needs being met, then I think you can actually start to manifest some of those ideals. Um, you know, they have replicators in Star Trek, so it's super cool. And I think that Star Trek, the Federation as a society, is highly aspirational for this reason. But I think it's difficult to legitimately implement that until you have solved kind of the fundamental issues you know, of you're basic needs. You just say there, Monty. You're saying it totally works as long as you have machines that have produced that make food out of supply. nothing. Yeah, exactly. Infinite from literally exactly. nothing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So essentially, he's not saying it doesn't work, but okay. I would also say this. I once heard someone describe it like this. I thought it was a very shrewd way to say it. They said, in the same way as the reason why most of the political divide in Western countries doesn't make sense because it depends what the issue is. Like, for example, maybe there's a person, Monty, in America who on a personal level wants to own a gun. So they have the right wing gun ownership angle, but then maybe they want social programs for the poor or something. That's a left wing topic, right? The point there is it doesn't make sense to be one or the other for that person. He wants a nuanced, like, combined position. So I once heard someone say it like this, Monty. Socialism makes sense within your family because you would want to share with your family and make sure the, yeah. the worst person take care of. But once it's your family going out into the world, which is what you represent as the breadwinner, you have to compete with people to some degree. So maybe then you wouldn't want to share everything in the same way. So I would say it's another one of those things where you can't, there's not one size fits philosophy that fits every aspect and situation. Well, That's actually one of the biggest nightmares of the world is single factor analysis to me. I think it also just runs into the issue of globalization and massive political nation states, which are not things that human beings evolved to comprehend. Oh. And so oh, they're by I, definition artifice, of course. Yeah, right. And I so I think that what what happens with the practical a application of communism is that it sounds good from an intellectual perspective yeah. but on the microcosm of people living their daily lives and the way we evolved to react to our environment and the way we we evolved to compete for resources makes it so that it can't actually function in our current kind of evolutionary state that's why i said it needs to be a post resource need society because it just doesn't work, I don't think, any other way because people are programmed to hoard resources for survival. I'll give you another reason why, in my opinion, it just doesn't fundamentally work in reality. And it goes like this. The problem you will get is basically... Uh, fuck, where was I going with that one? Let me think what the angle was. A second. Oh, that's it. Because if you notice... Have you noticed, Monty, it's not presented in the modern day as an economic course or a political theory. It's presented as a moral theory, Monty. So what people will always tell you who are communist slash socialist slash left wing is the reason we must do this is because just be a fucking good human TM and that we have to take care of everyone in society. So the premise they're setting up is the notion that like, 
you know all these terms they use. They're so fucking Orwellian. This language like harm reduction. Like what we need to do is make a better society for everyone. Spoiler: they even say themselves the line, "The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few." By the way, that already, if you don't know the euphemism, means kill people if you have to for the many. I know you don't get that, guys. You're, no, no, it just means the needs. Yeah. The question is, what do you need? So the problem you always end up with is this: if someone does it specifically from a utopian bent, where what they're telling you is, if I can implement this system, it will be better. Net positive for our country and humanity that literally that philosophically justifies any amount of murder because what you're saying Monty is this right yeah. yeah it sounds terrible I have to kill a million people but in exchange I will give you an infinite society that has infinite well-being infinite harm reduction and everyone is taken care of well the point is if you're weighing it up in some fucked up economic way like that like where you only care about like the values of people, not specific people you know, that will say, well, it doesn't matter if you have to kill 100,000 enemies of the state, they're the ones stopping you implementing the system. And unfortunately, that way of thinking is why I think all the murder happens, unfortunately. Because what they're thinking is, it's essentially, if I just kill this last person, then then we implement the system. Oh, shit, there's 10 more people. Well, it won't matter, though, because we're going to help millions. And if you keep doing that thinking, that's why I think so many of those regimes have had such horrific genocidal records, unfortunately. Yeah, go on, then. Next one. Next question. How would you say Fallen compares to Messi as the most overrated player in the world after the latter has won the AFCON player of the tournament? What's AFCON? It's win now. That's like, I assume the... The Americas one? Must be like America's Federation. Yeah. Con, con whatever it's called, con something. Called. It's basically like their version of the Euros, I'm guessing. It's like oh, the it's... South America all players, each other, right? It's a, the Africa Cup of Nations, I guess. Well, then what the fuck's he talking about? Because Messi doesn't play in the Africa Cup of Nations. I don't know. So... I don't think has he mixed it. up... It's not on Messi there or something. I don't know what's, he, what's going he, on there. So I think I've, he meant the... I don't know. The, hold he on. Meant the American, the, he meant the con... con whatever, concaccio cop or whatever the fuck they call it, I think he means. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I don't know anything about Messi, so this is confusing for me. Yeah, he means... I think he means the Copper America. Okay, fair enough. I think enough. he means that, but I don't know if that just happened now. Did that just... Did that, I don't fucking know. Fuck this question. I don't have to answer <laughs> hypotheticals. I don't. Basically, what he's done is he's tried to tee it up for me to say fall really overrated. So, no, I don't think the comparison is a very good one because here's the problem. I still think Messi is not only a contender for the best player ever, as in he could be the best player ever, but if you don't think he is, he's still like one of the like three or four best people ever to play football. The problem is Fallen isn't even close to that category. Like the joke is, I don't even think as an IGL, Fallen would probably be top four. So the idea, like that's exactly why I made that tweet. What enrages me about the response to that tweet, Monty, is nobody ever in good faith fucking read it and looked at the argument. They just heard me say Fallen is overrated and went, that means he is bad. So you're saying he was always bad every second and he's never ever been good it's like jesus christ that's not what i said ever ever in right. the same person if you're an nba fan if you're not a lebron fan you think he's overrated don't you well how could he be he's good isn't he didn't he score those points didn't he win those so anyway the point is i even in my comment if you remember said i put the context dude people go out there way not to understand me monty the, the tweet wasn't fallen's the most overrated player in the next sentence it said he was never the best player on any team he played on pretty key context if you want to be an all-time great player 
And then I added, and people act like he was Zidane. If people don't know, I think Zidane was the best player in the world in like 1998 or whatever. He was like the most graceful player who was not only your best player, he would control the whole game and he was peerless. Nobody could fuck with him. Fallen wasn't that guy. What happens is in 2016 and 2017, he was a good player, like top 10 in the world, but he had the best player in the world called Zera. And sometimes a called Zera and Fur, he had like the two of the top five players in the world for me. So I always thought he was mega overrated. So I don't think Messi is that overrated. My biggest problem, by the way, is Messi, this is why I keep making this analogy to Zewu. Messi and Zewu have done nothing wrong. They are fucking sick at the game. But the reason why I am so critical is because their fans can't shut the fuck up making dog shit arguments. So what I'm responding to is their fans. I am not responding to... I've never had any negative will towards Zewu. I have no ill will towards Messi. He is actually probably the best dribbler to ever play football. He's mega entertaining to watch. But if a dickhead Messi fan goes, ha, Messi is not just the best, but Ronaldo is trash. And not, then that's what annoys me. That's what I think makes him overrated. The fan there overrates him, not me. I don't overrate Messi. I think he's fucking baller. <laughs> there Whereas Fallen was just a very good in-game leader who had a couple of years he was good with the op, and then he fell off literally about eight years ago and last year was signed for $700,000 reportedly. By the way, that's more than Monacy cost. So you'd think that would make people go, you know what, maybe Thorne was right. Maybe this cunt's overrated. <laughs> and are you ready for the joke of all jokes, Monty? When he went and joined the best Brazilian team with the best Brazilian player... They are fucking terrible. They come like last place in tournaments, bro. It's insane. They didn't even get into Kanavica. They lost to like, I think, fucking the Mongolian team or whatever. And get, <laughs> but guess what? Genghis Khan wasn't walking through that door. It was just <laughs> Mongolian CS players, guys. They weren't even riding slanted on the horses. The original gangster with the sideways, whatever, the block or whatever. I don't know why. I had a connection the there. It's all good. Don't worry. No, don't worry about it. It's all good. They were slanted, weren't they, when they were going, you know. <laughs> Uh, you have the power to add ranged auto attacks to an existing melee champion of LOL in order to make it as toxic and obnoxious as possible. What champion do you choose? We're adding what to a ranged champion? We're adding we're, what? We're adding ranged auto attacks to a melee champion in oh, League of Legends right. to make it horrible. I mean, I think the obvious answer okay. is Gangplank. Like, Gangplank would be fucking horrible. Because look at his his trial by pa fire passive and the ability to auto attack while, like, putting fucking barrels down would be horrible guys I've got it would a good be one for horrific you. or master Yi. oh my god <laughs> being as this champion is currently played i'm just gonna say it oh dear imagine trying to kite That's that funny. if he could do ranged attacks on you that would be people cancel wouldn't it that would be actually insane that would be broken ye master ye would be fucking terrible. that would be pretty bad as well <laughs> you, know what I've always, you know one thing i can't lie i've always held it against the lck that all those years ago i'm gonna say it was in like 20 17 or something. When there was that one fucking week where where supposedly Faker played Master Yi on solo queue and he was godlike, but then all the LCK teams just banned him out in LCK. Bro, I wanted to see what the Faker, like prime Faker Master Yi would have done to you. <laughs> that would have been so fucking good. That would have been so dope. <laughs> but as usual, this is actually a famous thing in Korea. People see when Faker was playing something, they used to just ban the shower immediately, of course. Of course. <laughs> that would have been toxic as fuck, mate. Okay, next. Since Doublelift's departure from TL in 2020, CoreJJ has had Tactical, Hansama, Doppelganger, and Yun as his bot lane partners. Looking back now, realistically, which ADC do either of you think would have been A, the best option for CoreJJ, and or B, the right option? Well, CoreJJ's kind of washed, guys. Like, he individually... Like, yes, his ADCs yeah. have sucked, but yes. he has kind of He's also sucked. He's so... Off. 
If people don't know, that guy, especially behind the scenes, you'll know this, had the most insane rep I've ever heard of a player that went to LCS. Like, literally, I think, dude, I think they even have, like, a nickname. I think the players had a nickname. Like, they call him Picasso or something insane because of how, like, genius he is in the game. That's that's from years ago now, mate. That's, like, we're almost talking about, like, when Alfari was there, when that was still a thing now. Like, the problem in these latter years is they seem to still build around him and give him all this power. But he's not the same dope-ass player. Like, now he's just, like, a good player. But So, eventually, they got to him. LCS got to him eventually. The skill vampires were just delayed they just took a few years detour i guess <laughs> uh but who who do you think we should have should have played with him with who with core jj like what is the best option what would have been the best option after in the post double lift era uh so it has to be someone who can play in any i mean the obvious one to me would be because mate we've seen him back in the lpl why didn't you put this guy with prince yep mate, the prince guy I, now back I mean, in the lpl pop it again he's good that would be interesting, right? I mean, Prince Prince has been on the struggle bus, <laughs> the LBL a bit. Listen, he but, had talent, uh, he had but talent. he does have. Maybe he does have the, be the player who would guide him. You know, he does. He did have the talent coming in, and I would have liked to have seen that win. Prince came in for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think like even with some some of the other rookies that might have looked better, like you could make an argument that Masu right now looks pretty good. Maybe that would be a better option for him at the present time. Uh, but it has been weird. He hasn't had very good AD cares, and I and we still don't know why Han Sama was so bad when he was in the NA. Uh, next question: Roland Bart argued that a critic becomes an artist when they are able to articulate an insightful opinion on a piece of art. Bart was infamous for demythologizing cultural phenomena. Bart eventually came to the conclusion that while certain groups interpret art similarly, it is impossible to imbue a set meaning into art. Rather, it is simply masks all the way down. Bart took this as a positive as it allows every individual to enjoy art from their own perspective and believes in artists through critique. Bart believed the critic is not bound by nature, but rather bound by what they constantly engage in. Thoughts on Bart? Yes, I, and have you read him before? Yes, I have read Bart when I was in college. It has, however, been a very long time since I've read Bart. Um, I think those, I think the arguments are are interesting. It's a very, like, postmodern way um, to look at art. And also, he was into semiotics, so he definitely, like you know, believed in kind of like the, the sign, like the sign and the signifier. Right. And so that's the interpretation because he's looking at it, I think very much from like a linguistics perspective. Like it's like literary theory through linguistics and, and semiotics. Um, so it makes sense that he would say that th the art itself is in the mind, like is in the way that you interact with the art in the way that you interact with language as a signifier of meaning. Um, I, I, I would like to believe that there is inherent truth or inherent power in certain forms of art and that it isn't all on the interpretation of the critic. But I do think that the idea of the critic becoming an artist themselves by interpreting the art is valid. Like, I do think that the ability to express your own reaction to that beauty and articulate it in a beautiful way is in fact a form of art itself. And I think that's why we have great critics, for example. That's why I I disagree in general with the principle that the artist or the athlete or the person who is doing the thing is the only valid purpose. And this is this is, by the way, 
just taken to the maximum where it's it's the quotes from Roosevelt about the man in the arena, right, where it completely devalues the critic. There is an artistry to criticism and there is an artistry in interpretation of art or of action as well, because for throughout most I mean, it's of almost human- the meta art, right? You're working with a narrative, too. Right. And, and especially when it comes to athletics for the ma- vast majority of human history, the only the only thing we have is the critic reception of it, right? All we would have is written sources of the feats that were done because those were not able to be captured in film or another medium in which they could be viewed by us today. So, in fact, the critic has been enormously important throughout human history to catalog the wars, the, you know, the feats of heroism that have been done because it was the only way to do so, right? Have you ever read any Bart? No, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Except for when he was said, like, you know, whatever he wrote on that uh, blackboard at the beginning of the episode. Week, so that's the only thing I know about that. No, what I would say is, like, basically, I did a video on my side channel quite similar to this, which was about how I think that you meet all art halfway and what you bring yeah. to the table is massively influential over what you not only can take in terms of what the author might have intended, like, if you can't connect to what they were trying to say, you won't get anything out of it. But also, I actually think that is what makes... Um, this type of content so vibrant is the idea that somehow it connects to something in you or your life experience or what you're thinking. So all I would say on this particular topic is to me, uh, like the best example would, this is why in a way, Monty, here's the thing. I do agree that like the concept that like they're like, for example, I don't think beauty is subjective. I do think it's actually an objective thing. It's about how you perceive certain like things. And if you were to like essentially aggregate among all humankind, the civilization, you would get certain things. Now look, they'd also be tailored to those civilizations, but you'd get certain patterns would emerge in the same way as if we did a search on Tinder, the actual patterns that would emerge that people are white swiping would probably be the most beautiful people. You know, it's why we have so many parallels in mythology, right? Like these are independent cultures coming up with independent stories that have resonated throughout thousands of years and they emerge organically in many different societies, right? But this for, is why, though, for psychological I actually reasons, do think we have to. We have to this is assume. why it doesn't surprise me. Someone in the field of semiotics would say, though, that they don't think you can actually have a message that gets to everyone. Right. The best example would be the last week on the internet on Twitter, there was this massive discourse about the film Starship Troopers, and what happened was there was two groups of people. There's the people who are incredibly left wing, terminally online people, and their take is, "What the hell? They were evil to the bugs, and those bugs might not even." have been guilty and maybe they were the good guys and the joke there is like that's how you know there's nothing in the message because wait a minute the message even if you don't like the actual like fucking novel is a critique of fascism it's not that the bugs that were the high man were the good guys like what you've done there guys is show that what you have is your hierarchy of values of what is beautiful what is good what is innocence what is pure you've actually got such a perverted hierarchy of values you chose that by definition the, the side that has nothing going for them. Essentially, you've almost well, implied, because this is where their position politically is, you just hate current humans, which they do <laughs> philosophically in the modern day. <laughs> Meanwhile, terminally online right-wing people just went like, it, it was all good, all the stuff they did in their society. That is actually a perfect society. And even though you're not realizing yourself, but we aren't facing a hive mind bug threat. We're facing other humans. So what they did wouldn't always be justified. So it's another example of where you could have had either a 
brilliant postmodern discussion. Nobody had. Or you could all, like they're doing, interpret it literally along your own simple understanding, in which case you can take two completely 180 polar counter takes on the same original piece of art, which I would say has none of that. It's just one. I think they all brought their own shit to the table and went away with their own shit. That's right. my analogy. I mean, if, if you actually watch the movie, I mean, what's what's fun about discussing that movie and what I really like that Verhoeven did with it is that the bugs might be malicious. We actually don't know that because the asteroid hit, yeah, right, the asteroid hits Earth and you don't know whether it was an like totally accidental, like, the, like you yes. don't know. So, you know, the, the what's interesting about that film is that the the fascist human society's response is to launch an attack on the bugs homeworld, which is like completely out of proportion without even knowing what the intent behind the bugs asteroid hitting Argentina or whatever it was. Luckily, no one would ever do something like invade Iraq because of a terrorist <laughs> action that was unrelated. That would never happen. That would, so that's like a that yeah, part exactly. really for me because I couldn't, I wasn't a president for it in history, you know. So, so, so yeah. technically this movie did come out in 1997 to be fair. So it was just prescient in some way. It was just prescient in some way. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it, it wasn't necessarily because of, uh, you know, a rogue subgroup, right, that could have caused some kind of attack or a complete accident, yes. you know, a complete accident. You don't well, know what the bugs flag, are doing. Classic one. You could be yourself <laughs> right. to just Justify doing the wall, yeah, of course. And so, you know, what I love about that film is like the the fascist society that the humans are in is obviously like ridiculous, and the the kind of like ridiculous, you know, absurd kind of blind retaliation they do is an indictment against the the militarization and the fascism, you know, and the violence present within humanity. But also, like, are the bugs to be sympathized with? Like, they could have done this as a preemptive first strike. This could have been their Pearl Harbor or whatever, and, like, the re the retaliation could have been justified. We don't fucking know at the end of the so, day. The only time you see the bugs, they are killing people, and then the other bugs suck people's brains out. Like, again, bro, I'm not saying you have to love the side of the militaristic human but if you think, if you watch that movie and on the one hand you go, wow, the humans are disgusting, then you see the bugs and go, it's me for real, for real. Like, what the fuck, self report is that? Bruh, what self report is that? Like, that's what you identify. Wait a minute. So, a modern day literal tanky communist identifies with a barely human fucking hive mind creature that would just kill all humans if it could. Bro, it's too on the nose. You, you just, you're telling on yourself at this point in time. You you know, <laughs> I love it. I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, a, I think it's a pretty good metaphor for what we were talking about, though. If you know what I mean? <laughs> I like how we got to the Starship Troopers uh, internet argument from the Roland Bart question. Uh, all right. Uh, our favorite fan, Butt Pounder 420, asks I have no idea what this means. This is probably a dangerous question. Come on. What if JFK's head just did that? <laughs> What the fuck does That's that That's funny. Mean? Oh, what he means is like his joke is what if he wasn't even like assassinated and shot? Oh, what if his head just exploded? Okay, for it's almost like a Rick and Morty question, isn't it? Like, look, I will say that would be a hilarious but incredibly incendiary episode for sort of like a Twilight Zone episode or something, you know? And that would actually be straight fire at all. Okay, like, that's what I way, thought it meant, thing, but I didn't know if it was like related to some sort of conspiracy. But it is a funny question. This is me off, Monty. Here's what really pisses me off. One thing I hate in life, if you notice, I've, one thing I would say I'm very good at, actually, Monty, if you see on these shows is, I don't have to agree with you, but I know in order to know what you're talking about, to see your perspective, I have to let you make your point. So I'll let someone goo their premise. I'll accept the premise temporarily. I'll ask questions. I'll round out the worldview. And then once I've seen their worldview, then I can sort of take their point on board. You can't just take the point without knowing where they're coming from, what they believe in, what they think of other things, right? So what I would say is this. 
People never do actually think through things like, what if these things are conspiracies? Because here's why they don't. They don't think how many cool or weird or hilarious alternate realities that would spawn. So I'll give you an example. Has no one ever thought of this reality? That if Oswald, I'm now theoretically speculating, if he wasn't the one who killed him, imagine being Oswald. You go up to that thing, you've got this whole mission, you've got this whole thing, maybe you're controlled by the Soviet Union, maybe the CIA, maybe the fucking Cuba. You go there, Monty, you set up your rifle, you got it chained in, you're about to fire, and the guy's head just explodes. Mate, (laughs) What the fuck would the next five seconds be like for you? Because on the one hand, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't even do it. And I've got this rifle. Like, fuck. Like, you, you know, that, that, that's the part people thought, what the fuck would that be like to see someone else shot him first? By the way, I did actually have a banter. I'll tell you this one because it's from so old. And this, I'm going to deal with the score spots and cannibalize my old content. I did once have a joke like that where I said, on oh, by the numbers, someone asked the question, like, what would you do if you had a time machine? And my joke was, I'd go back and I'd fire first and then everyone on the scene would be like, what the, what the fuck? So, like, my joke was the people on the grassy knoll would be like, what the fuck? The fucking CIA guy would be like that. Oswald would be like, what the hell's going on? And then, like, I'd, I'd be dead in the same way, but I'd have just fucked everyone's conspiracy right, angle even so more. You'd, was, you'd, that's You'd Greedo the the JFK scene. Yes. Because the, the other detail that makes it funnier is I'm not going back to stop it. I'm going back to make it even more fucked up, like you say, like George Lucas and that shit. <laughs> George one, Lucas it? directs the new uh, JFK movie. That'd exactly. be fucking hilarious. Dude, that actually does exactly. sound like um like you know, an inglorious bastard style like Quentin Tarantino yeah. movie be, about JFK. A alternate history movie. Because you know, <laughs> I always thought that about Inglorious Bastards. When you get to the point, spoiler, where it doesn't go like history and he just kills Hitler and all them. And the, you just think, wait a minute, he's right. We could have just been doing this with films the whole time. You never had to actually make it what happened. Actually, wait a minute, why aren't there a million films? That was the first thought I, mean, I had, mate. This is actually a cool I idea. Mean, it, yeah. It's like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he just like kills the Benson family. Same thing. No, yeah. the, the joke is it's like he corrected history how he wanted it, didn't he, in yeah. both cases. Yeah, exactly. Because I actually thought the same thing on that one too. I was like, actually, yeah, true. You don't have to follow it and have them get killed that way, I guess. You're right. You can just do whatever you want, right? You're the film director. <laughs> Why not? Uh, have either of you been to Northern Ireland? Also, do you remember what public perception and opinion of Northern Ireland was like during the Troubles in the 90s? I have always wondered what the outside world saw of our little conflict. Oh, is I, this person Irish is the premise, right? They're Northern right? Irish. So I've lived in Dublin, yeah. guys. Like, I went to I went to Trinity for a year in university. And I had professors who obviously lived through the Troubles. And so I talked to them about it. I have not been to Northern Ireland. I have only been to the Republic. Um, but I've traveled all over the Republic of Ireland, like, you know, West Coast, South, South, everywhere. Um, so, I, I mean, my a lot of my knowledge of the Troubles happened was like what happened in the Republic and hearing stories from people there about like the bombing of Nelson's Pillar, um, you know, the big events that happened there. And especially around Trinity, too, considering it was like the the Protestant, you know, university within Ireland. Um, so. I would not say like I am an like a total outsider because I like lived in that culture. You know what I mean? And I I have Irish friends and I I spoke to Irish people very directly about it. So my knowledge came later in my life. I wasn't at an age where I was really, you know, in the 90s, I was like a child and a teenager. So I wasn't really super aware of world events, I would say, during that time period of my life. The maximum age I was in the 90s was 13 years old. I was born in 86. So I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but I can say like I'm relatively aware of it now. 
and it's pretty crazy that you know they're they're electing people from the former rebellion group into positions of power in Northern Ireland now. Like that's quite the reversal. All I would say is this: I I obviously did live through that time period, but I was a boy in the eighties. Obviously, I was like the joke is I could only at most be seven. Could I was born in nineteen eighty three? So all I remember basically was you'd see stories on the news that were like, and this bomb threat was called in and it was blown up by the IRA or whatever. And so that was quite scary at the time. You were like, what the fuck? What people set off bombs in our country? Now, luckily, I live in the northeast where there's fuck all important, so those bombs would probably be going off in London or some major city like that. So I was safe in that regard. And then as far as like actual Northern Ireland goes, the only thing I remember was those insane stories of stuff like paramilitary people just doing stuff like just pulling up on a guy on the street and just shooting him in the head with a pistol and walking off like there was some crazy shit and obviously the famous thing you'd also hear in England was anytime they ever did those marches where they do the political thing those would always be like everyone was waiting for that to just be like a fucking powder keg and go crazy so essentially I would just say if people don't know I actually think that's one area what foreigners don't really think about is that like dude Britain had its own thing like that where we had a country next door to us that's hostile to us obviously historically they'd say we're hostile to them and then there was this weird thing where it's like you got some mad ceasefire thing happening over and over again and getting broken like it was actually sort of a fucked up northern northwestern european version of like the israel palestine conflict or something it was kind of crazy so uh, and also being as i i'm not that knowledgeable about the history of britain and ireland in that regard everyone knows the big broad strokes but even some of that isn't necessarily true i'll give you a random one you can go look up i actually heard someone once give a scientific explanation for why maybe england didn't actually like fuck them over with that famine with the potatoes they told me it was something weird like when you transport potatoes in ships that something happens differently than when they're just in the field that they don't i can't remember what it is it's something about how like how they transport and they go off in some fucked up way and that that was one of the things that like fucked up the crop or something but it's one of those ones where everything's brought pit with broad strokes and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago as time goes on so i don't really know that much about that topic mate don't know fuck all so there you go there's the little bit i was getting from my part of the world yeah i mean i i'm pretty f- oh, familiar. One last thing I'll say is this. I will say, because there was a stand-up comedian once did a joke like this, Monty. The most annoying thing about the Northern Ireland situation is how fucking stupid young people are when they hear about it. Because what they do, like everything, Monty, is they think everyone else was a moron, and they decide that they can look at a problem for five seconds and solve it like that. Well, it's obvious you should do this. So a stand-up comedian once did a joke version of this, Monty. He goes, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, at the end of the day, why don't the people from Northern Ireland just come back to the UK and give them Ireland back. And then someone goes... Uh, in the in the comedy sketch, the guy goes, "Well, that's the problem because they're not actually like British in the same way. They're like culture, like historically Irish, and they culturally have their own area. And it's neither Republic of Ireland or Great Britain, so they wouldn't want to leave." And he's like, "All oh, right, shit, yeah. Oh, in that case, I guess they can't just." integrate with the main Irish people well in that case why not just give them like their own area though and then they could just be in that area and they didn't say that is what they did you idiot <laughs> that is it. like essentially this is the compromise that we've had to come to and because you can't rewind the clock hundreds of years there isn't really a solution is there like like what do you do with this you just have a weird sort of stalemate don't you that's the best you can hope for because people have counter philosophies unfortunately yeah and and you know i i think my my sense of 20th century irish history is quite good just because i lived there and you know i'm familiar with uh, especially because I studied a lot of Irish liter- literary f- figures like Yeats, for example, um, you know, Joyce. Like, so I I know a lot of the history that happened um, and also just from being in Ireland, going to the museums, the historical sites, everything like that. But I, I definitely know it 
from the Irish perspective almost entirely. And also, like, I'm a big fan of Irish trad music, and, like, 90% of that is about killing English people. So okay. <laughs> it's about hating, you know, the black and tans and all of that stuff. So I, I do, but I'm, I, am, I would say I'm very unusual for an American, and it's because I lived there, and I very particularly studied Irish literary history and Irish history itself. So No, man, I don't even pretend to know about that shit. Like, one, obviously... Maybe the film Hunger about Bobby Sands yes. was some sort of uh, inspiration for Evil Geniuses and how they run their team, keep people nice and hungry, you know, movie, keep them though. on the edge. That's a good one. It's and then also movie. the other angle is almost all that I know about the Troubles comes from songs like Zombie by the Cranberries and I don't know about their tanks and their bombs and their guns and their guns and their guns. And their guns. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Go, go, go. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay. I get it. It's cool. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. I prefer it when you talk about lingering. Just go back to lingering. Stop it with the guns and bombs and zombies. Go back to lingering. Okay. <laughs> right, next question. What do you think of Coach Kim's history and his current work with Gen G? Do you have any insight on why score? Should I tell you not... why this is a question? Should I tell you sure. why this is a question, Monty? Sure. Because it's a famous narrative on Western Reddit that this guy is a complete fraud and none of his wins should count for him. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Well, bro, remember, this guy was a coach of T1. He was a coach of fucking IG or whatever when they won Worlds, wasn't it? Sure. I think it was IG. He was on the coach. He was coaching a bunch of massive teams, by the way. And the fans all claim he's one of those guys where he just got the credit because he was the head coach. He's actually some sort of bomber moves on. I find that weird, mate, because all I'll say is this. I don't think you can accidentally get a resume like this, mate. You, you don't accidentally trip over a win like this and keep moving job to job to job to job. Like, it's not that nepotistic in industry, guys, especially not as head coach. Maybe if you use some, like, shitty little side coach that a guy keeps bringing. If you're the head coach, you have to actually be sort of good at your job to keep getting these gigs, in my opinion. So I would just imagine, I'll infer instead, that means there's maybe rumors from certain players didn't like him or disagree with him. Well, spoiler, like at the beginning of this episode, sometimes good coaches are going to have problems with their fucking players. I'd actually be really worried, by the way, about the coach that players only ever say nice things about. He might have just been kissing their ass too much or just playing what they wanted. So I'm actually not sure what make of the Kim guy because again since obviously I can't talk to him and I don't have like super deep Korean scene contacts I just look at his resume it looks bagging so fair play he's had to move on a few times but it's what a very interesting career what's your take on him I mean I I would generally agree with that he's also been all over the world uh which yeah. I which is which is pretty interesting um and he's been kind of on a break for quite a long time now right like he hasn't actually coached the team in a significant amount of time like several years um, so I, I look, I'm surprised they moved on from score, especially because score was so successful. Oh, of course. Right. Um, and it's, it's even weirder that score hasn't been picked up by, an, by another team. I don't know the reason behind that for all I know is money. Like maybe score wanted a bunch of money and Genji right. didn't have money to give that, but to give way, to him. It'd be totally justified asking for it. He's won three titles in a row in yeah. the LCK. I would ask for more money too. Of course. <laughs> So I don't know what the reasoning is. Uh, perhaps, you know, uh, Coach Kim is significantly older. He's 35. So perhaps they wanted more of an authority figure uh, at this point because it's not like he's the only coach for Gen G. I doubt he's doing much of the strategy. Um, you know, I'd assume that you guys do know that they like brought Mata in. To help with this guy. Yeah, of stuff. by the way, my <laughs> assumption is this guy's just the head coach, like you're saying. He doesn't do strategic. By the way, as an aside, though, I will say this. Actually, the only time my Joker metaphor does fail is with Score, because one, Joker is the old alias of Score, and he definitely didn't get what he deserved in his career. He did not get what he deserved. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Yeah. So, like, Shout out Ma Star Tale back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mata, 
like Mata obviously is a legendary player, maybe the best Revenge. player yeah. of all time at his position. So, sure. you know, they don't have, it's not like they have a, you know, they're lacking in terms of their, their coaching staff when it comes from a strategic perspective as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they also have helper who used to be a, a top lane pro, uh, not a particularly notable one, but he was kind of kicking around in, in like the, you know, 2015 era, 2016 era, uh, and has been doing a lot of coaching around the world ever since, including with like Suning and PSG Talon. And he was on Gen G previously for a short stint. So I think if you wanted somebody as a head coach who's more of like that authority figure and somebody who's going to kind of like handle player disputes and maybe not influence the strategy as much, maybe that's the kind of person they decided they needed to to handle the players. I don't know. Uh, a Reddit comment with over 100 upvotes referred to Adam as the forgiven of top lane. Is this actually the worst Reddit take Reddit has ever created? If not, what is your number? Well, I don't know what the worst one is. They're they're coming up with new ones Here's every the problem. day. If they want to go from like attitude-wise, I'm with them. The problem is, as an actual player, I think it'd be inappropriate. Like One thing, first of all, about Forgiven is, Forgiven was like a god laner. He was unbelievable. He, like, he essentially set the meta of how you played the bot lane aggressively. And also, even though he certainly had a very like one-dimensional view of the game, he was amazing at calling around himself if people don't know. Like He knew what he needed to carry a game with his champion, these lanes, and the opposing team comp. The problem I have is I don't think that I don't think the player part would be appropriate for Adam, because as I said, I think part of what allowed him to be the best is the system created around him by his coach. The joke about Forgiven is he almost succeeded in spite of what his coaches did sometimes. So, I think... Attitude-wise, though, I'm with you. I put it this way. There's very few players that I've ever heard of who were as troublesome as people like Forgiven, Adam, Reckless, Dardock. Like, these people, they deserve their reputation. Oh, the joke is Reckless didn't get it, as you'll find out soon. But these people behind the scenes have a million nightmare stories of them doing crazy shit like that, yeah. So he's certainly in that category. He deserves it. Uh, what is this best single game of League of Legends ever played by a team of five? Like a, like a, like, I guess it's a, just one game of league played out by an entire team. So like, what would be the best coordination? If we're, yeah, if we're not making it like the quality of the match, you know what, believe it or not, T1 fans, you might win on this one. Even the oh, modern day T1s sure. had a few games that were incredible, look really fucking amazing from start to finish where they had interesting comp, they played out correctly. Obviously old school T1 had some fucking bangers back in the day. I mean, like, if you if you actually want to see, like, crazy domination, I mean, one of the single best play sequences of all time was the second game against OMG in 2013 Worlds that yep. T1 played, where it was the best of ones, but it was their second match. They had lost the first one to OMG. Uh, and it was the game where they took the inhibitor in, like, one sequence in the mid lane, where they took, like, all three turrets and repeatedly killed yes. everybody on OMG until they got, like, a 16-minute inhib. It was amazing when it happened. You watch it today, it's still fucking amazing. (laughs) The game was quite different back then. Um, So as far as like a group of five players crafting one sequence, that's definitely up there. I haven't thought about that, though, um, in terms of like player perfection. Uh, I mean, honestly, like one of the best games, at least in the last couple of years, was that game where Faker played set mid against the Freaks last year oh right yes and he just like kept going bot and like diving their bot lane it was probably one of the best first 15 minutes that i've ever seen um 
terms of complete domination. I'd have to think for a specific one, but it, like if you're a fan of team fighting, there'll definitely be a JDG game from last year where they'll have played like the most godlike team fights of all time. Sure, like, yeah. They had unbelievable team fights at times. I mean, actually, I'll tell you what, there was that game everyone remembers from summer last year. I think it was summer. Was it Summer or MSI? You remember there was a game where BLG and JDG played, and it's like they perfectly played their team comps. I think I'm thinking of the right teams. Mm. Where it was like the players, oh fuck, or was it T1 and BLG? I forget which one it was. But anyway, what happened in this match was it was like both teams just played out the team fight perfectly for each champion. And so you saw like an amazing, like like the Syndra did the scatter the fucking week, and then the other one came in, like, oh, it was fucking insane. I think it was JDG BLG. Someone tell me in the chat if they remember the game I'm talking about. It was a banger. Like, someone says they think it was MSI. It could be, okay. But I remember yeah. there was an insane game like that where both teams are essentially... It's like your dream. They both actually understood the win conditions right. of the comp and did it right. At the same yeah. time, like back and forth, it was dope. Yeah, I have to think about that a little bit more. It's a good question, though. All right, we're going to do one more, guys, and then uh, I'm going to need to go because I need to sleep at some point. Um, <laughs> I'm going to clean up this question a little bit in terms of language. Uh, why are we all pretending the LC pro LCS product was ever good? The caster's analysis, all of it was very bad. Richard Lewis in his video said the changes, cutting some of this was bad slash appealing to idiot fans, but I think he misses the fact that the product has always been bad, plus all the talent are afraid of saying actual criticism. Um, Basically saying that the CS scene does actual criticism better. Uh, every time I hear a desk, it is always like a PR team for big players on big teams. They look like Riot's got guns to their heads when they're on desk. Um, I mean, look, this is what LCS wanted. You know, they wanted to they wanted to be like the NFL and they intentionally chose people and trained them and gave them feedback to make them like the most milk toast professional sports league. Um I was not ever told that by OGN. OGN wanted OGN loved the kind of, you know, you know, loved the 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 kind of controversy that I was causing because they rightly saw it as entertainment and wanted me to like stir the pot, right? And I think CS and esports in general, people have a, the real fans, like the hardcore grassroots fans have more of an affinity to that and Riot just took it away. I think it's you know, part of the reason why potentially the LCS pro product has not been doing super well over a number of years is because when you lost the players, right, the spicy players and the interesting storylines of the players, the talent wasn't there to fall back on. Right. It, it, it doesn't they hadn't they, they haven't built themselves up as their own characters. I think LEC did a much better job of building their casters up as compelling characters. Dude, I also think an angle people don't factor in is that they themselves just got bored of it. Like another problem the LCS has is, even though they bragged for those first years, part of that was the novelty of having a league. Well, eventually, you're going to have to see, can it stand up on its own two legs when there isn't novelty, when it's just the same thing every year? And spoiler, I think people are sick of it now. They're sick of the same carnival getting back on the horse at the beginning of the carousel da, 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 and then see a garbage performance at World. So what I would say is this. I actually think what the LCS did is miss one of the most fundamental concepts about media that's about sports opinions, which is you need the controversial guy. Of course. He even allows the less controversial person to be interesting. What you need 
need is this. You don't want a broadcast where everyone says everything that the fans like in a milk toast way like you're saying, Monty. The joke is that has its own role as well. But what you need to do is basically hit a bunch of demographics at once. So simultaneously, you want someone like Emily Rand or in Counter-Strike Maniac to not ever flame the player, but politely critique the player and say, I think he could have done this better and this is what they should do. But then you also need the guy like me or Monty or someone could be a fucking Yanko to come and go... He wasn't just bad, he was fucking shit in that game. And in fact, he, I think it was a disgrace the way he played that. You need that opinion so that also, like you're saying, first of all, there's a hardcore fan who doesn't want it all dressed up and stick up your ass and a fucking tie and a blazer on. They want to know the real take, which is this wasn't just a, a bad game. This was an egregiously bad one. And by the way, by doing that, you actually allow people to then have the, the more boring, you allow a balance of opinions. And even though the people who want the milk toast opinion, you're going to go, I hate this guy saying the controversial thing. They will not be able to tune out. History has proven they will be a moth to a flame who cannot keep diving into that fire, even though they know it will burn them. Because if you just look at Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless or my own career, the joke is Monty, and this isn't even a joke really. When I did that tweet at the beginning of this year, which was just a statement of intent, I didn't have like, I wasn't teasing anything. When I said, I might fuck around and do a couple of events this year. Bro, I had even people who hate me that were like, I was never a big fan, but actually, we need you on the desk. And they get it. They even get that the joke is, like you're saying, Monty, what if the game's shit? Well, I'll tell you why you stick around if the game's shit because I'm going to go fucking ham when the yes. game is shit so you know my segment's going to be I, spicy I, as fuck so it's a way you can make the boring games entertaining basically I, I get people in my streams now when I do a VOD review where they're like I'm here because I want to watch you flame this game because <laughs> I, yeah. I want to see your, your reaction um, and Joe, that makes Joe, it more fun this Monty Riot in, in, inadvertently discovered that has value but not the smart way because that's what they've outsourced to the core streams the yep. core streams just do all that for them and then they still get to count the number, well, you know? I, I also think kind of why the LCS has sucked is because it's in proximity of the biggest morons that are in the executive oh, suites yes. at, at in Riot Esports. And when you're right next to those people and you're in their time zone and they're watching your games, that's when you're going to get, you know, this criticism, right? Because they're the ones who are just going to be like... Well, you know, I, I, you know, the next day at the office, they're like, well, I have some feedback for you guys. And I think blah, 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 blah. And these are the same dipshits that made the product bad, that made the format bad in yes. the first place, that thought it should be like the NFL. It's the same morons. And they are right in your ear, constantly giving you feedback. And because they are in a higher position than you, telling you things, all the producers are like, well, we got to change this. All the cash are like, well, we got to change this. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, has a layer of abstraction between the the dumbass executives and them. Um, so I think, you know, those those idiots had a lot more of, a, of, of an effect on LCS than they did on other regions where it's just too far away for them to really or like, oh, man, if I have to give them feedback, then I have to like think about it and write it up in, a, in an email. And that takes time. So, you know, fuck it. I'm just not going to do that. Right. So I, I think. I think that's another massive factor. But, of course, these people will never be fired or punished in any way or demoted or had their positions changed or kept away from the product in any way, despite the fact that it is the league that has fallen the most in terms of viewership. Oh, it's insane. Every other league has grown. 
Do you even imagine, Monty, for real, if I went back in time, you pick the year, 2016, 2015, 2014, could you even conceive if we told everyone, you know, one day the LCS will be dog shit for views, but European League will be the big one. Like They would be like, there's no way. That would be like a complete inversion. That would be like some clown, you know, fucking funhouse mirror version of League. In 2024, (laughs) regular season games in Korea, in Europe, are peaking at their highest ever. We haven't seen a peak in LCS since like fucking 2017, like 2016. This thing literally peaked like seven years ago, and we've never gotten back to that point. It's pathetic. But nobody's well, ever held about responsible for this. Enough about double F slide. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, my bad. You meant Riot, yeah, LCS class, yeah. Um, all right, guys. Thank you for your questions. We didn't get them to them all this week. Apologies, but I this show is now uh, you know once it starts to get over three and a half hours, we kind of just have to like throw the throw the towel in on it. So we will see you for more questions next week, and remember to check out Competitive Edge as well on the Esports Bet Channel. See you then.